Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the newest episode of the Theater Enthusiast Podcast. As always, my hot priest candle is lit. I am drinking out of my hot priest mug. And I'm very happy and excited to have our next guest on, whom I've worked with a few times, and it's just everybody loves him on the Broadway. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andrew Kober. Yeah. Well, thank you for that rousing applause. Yeah. I had a feeling you would enjoy this. <laughs> it's wonderful. Oh, they're wooing. Oh, you All guys. Right. I will say, though, because we I've recorded this on Zoom, the times where I have done the applause app, you would literally just hear the first few like, woo, woo, and then it just cuts out. You, I could hear it like just ever, just enough, really. Just, oh, really? Sure. Man. I don't know if I heard, well, I heard it plenty, but I just, I felt like if anybody who's coming onto this podcast would appreciate the applause. It's all I need to keep going. <laughs> it it's would be Mr. Andrew Kober. Sure. Yeah. How it's... are you, Mr. Kober? You know what? I'm all right. I'm, uh, I'm about as well as could be hoped for. That's how I am. How are you? I'm good. I'm sad we don't have a reading this week. Is that why you're just not as happy? I feel like I'm just sort of drifting aimlessly without a reading to do with you. I know. I'm sorry. Well, you know, maybe next month. Fingers crossed. We're trying to make it happen. Crossing everything. So as you know, I already showed you your show mugs, but like I always jokingly (laughs) say the two people who actually listen to this podcast, I'm not joking. Nobody listens. Um, I have your, I have a wicked mug for you. Perfect. I remember you saying that you will one day and forever like to play Dr. Dillamond. Yep. I'm all about that consistency. Give me eight shows a week. I'll lock in for 20 years. Come in. You know, something bad, you know, yep. just work on your goat now. Absolutely. I will throw on those prosthetics yeah. and I will be there eight times a week and I I'll retire. Are you, you know. be okay shaving the beard though? Oh, sure. I I very often do. This is like, I've the beard is sort of like a default thing just because I, I can't stand shaving very often. And I also look a lot like my mother without it. And so- um, Is that why they cast you as Margaret Mead? It might be. Mm. uh i don't think that maybe they knew my mother i'm not sure um she'll listen to this for sure she always she always tunes in so i uh i prefer the beard because it's less weird for me and it's less weird for my wife who does know my mother um so it's just i think it's like generally better all around got it well we also have a shakespeare love mug for you with different quotes terrific are there any 12 nights on there i don't know I don't really know all the words well tonight. My heart is ever at your service. I don't think that one's in there. There is. Ooh, that almost fell. That's not a Shakespeare line. I literally almost just dropped the mug. Uh-huh. Left side is good, but given unsought is better. Nope. Did my heart? No, that's Romeo and Juliet. Well, I'm not going to read every single That's kind of act. a fun game is like, is this from the play you were in or not? Yeah. You know what? Maybe afterwards I'll just like be here, read this. Is this from a thing? Perfect. I'm sure it's from something. Yeah. Well, anyway, Cobert, let's get down to business. Let's. Where are you from? I grew up in, well, I was born in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. When I was a baby, I moved to uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio, and that's where I grew up. Did you do a lot of theater growing up? Yeah. So uh, weirdly the like northeastern suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, have a really thriving youth and community theater community. And so um, in sixth grade, my uh, my girlfriend at the time, it was very serious, had me join the drama club. She felt that As we were- As most not... relationships are in sixth grade. 
Yeah, exactly. It okay. was, um, well, you know, it was, uh, we had a lot going on. We had a lot of power too. We, we were like a real power couple. That was kind of when I peaked as far as popularity, but she had me join the drama club. So it's gone downhill from there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Steadily and consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did uh, a Gilbert and Sullivan musical and I got a, a better part than she did. And then she broke up with me, but I thought I'll keep this up then. And so I just kept it up from there. Um, and because I was at the time, still am tall and big, and I carry a certain amount of gravitas, especially for a you know 12 or 13 year old. Uh, I, I just went about playing all of the like fathers and grandfathers in the musical theater canon my mm-hmm. whole kind of middle school, high school career. Yeah. Where would you say your love of theater actually started? Well, I was sort of raised on it without knowing it. Like my my uh, my parents and especially my father were really big Gilbert and Sullivan fans, actually. Like they loved HMS Pinafore and Pirates of Penzance and uh, the Mikado and like those shows. Mm-hmm. And so we used to watch tapes of them all the time. We had like VHS tapes of professional mm-hmm. productions of these shows when we'd watch them. And I, I never really sort of saw it as something that real people could do. It was just entertainment like anything else was. Um, just kind of old people entertainment. But then around the time that I joined the drama club, we took a class trip to Toronto where we saw Phantom of the Opera and Sunset Boulevard. And that was the first time that I was like, okay, this is connecting with me. This is clearly like a thing that adults are doing for a living. Mm-hmm. I, I am likely not going to be on the Yankees. That was like, that was really my plan at that point. I was like, I'll be a Yankee. It well, was it, becoming you clear. done damn Yankees. Exactly, which I still haven't done. Although I've done a lot of baseball musicals. Um, well, we'll talk about that because I'm curious about that one. Okay. Uh, haven't done damn Yankees, but I was I was a Yankees fan. And I thought that I would play for the Yankees because I thought that would make my dad proud, which it would have, but he's he was proud anyway. Um, so I sort of saw these shows, these Angela Lloyd Webber mega musicals. And I was like, well, that looks like something maybe I could get into. And um, I kind of went from there. And luckily I was just super supported. I mean, my, my family and my community and my school all sort of really said, yes, like, yes, go down this road, see about this. So curious question for, for you know, I, I started this podcast in hopes of like, you know, getting theater fans who want to aspire to do theater, you know, listen to different people who work in all aspects of theater, front of house, backstage, on stage, what have you. What if you want to pursue this career, but you don't have a supportive family? It makes it a lot more difficult, but not impossible, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm very lucky from my point of view to have had a really supportive family, but I think that, I, I know that I've worked with people who's whose families were less than supportive to put it generously. Mm -hmm. And um, the only real difference is it requires that much more drive. It requires that much more kind of self-motivation and Mm -hmm. persistence. Um, Unfortunately, and I think we're just sort of starting to have this conversation as community, but like it is a, an endeavor that requires a good amount of opportunity to be handed to you. Like it's not, you know, if you grow up, I don't know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the mountains or in the foothills or the swamps or whatever. But if you're if you're if you're not in a place where you can easily access opportunity, it is not the sort of um, hobby that you can really pursue all, all on your own. Mm-hmm. So uh, at least not when you're a, a young person, a school aged person. So 
that's why, you know, it's, it's great that the internet exists and that podcasts exist and exist, mm-hmm. and you can kind of find your way in, in ways of your own, but you can't get on a stage if there's not a stage nearby. That's, yeah. that's the simple truth. And um, so to me, I found that the people that I've worked with as a professional, as an adult that didn't kind of have the most opportunity when they were young are that much hungrier and know their way around a stage that much better because it means that much more to them, which I, I really respect. That's awesome. Uh, the stories I could tell, <laughs> especially my high school drama teacher. Yeah. I, I'll tell the story. I call her the spawn of Satan oh, cool. um, because she is, in my opinion, and I will never forget this story. And I always tell people, this is an example of just what my theater teacher like in high school was towards me. The two creators of Brooklyn, the musical came to my high school to talk to the theater kids. And this was my senior year of high school. And I was really struggling to try and figure out how to tell my parents that I want to pursue this career as an actor in theater, whatever. And so I was talking because it was the male and the female, the man was homeless. And then the female who found him and they wrote this musical together, unfortunately don't remember the names, but I was talking to this woman and I started to break down and start hysterically crying to her being like, what advice you have for me? What can I tell my parents? Having like a really in-depth conversation with this woman. And then my theater teacher who probably saw me hysterically crying to this woman because it was very obvious that I was, comes over to me and goes, do you mind just standing over there for a second so we can get a photo? Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awful. Luckily I was really, um, I mean, it's one of the ways in which I feel really privileged and lucky is that I was, I was only ever told, yes, mm-hmm. keep, keep going. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, even of course there are roles I didn't get and there are colleges I didn't get into and whatever, mm-hmm. but like by and large, the message has always been keep at it. There is a, yeah. there is a place for you here. Yeah. Um, and I've never been told otherwise in sort of like a macro way, um, which is uh, I think huge. Yeah. So let's talk about when did, so, okay. When did you decide like, yes, I want to do this as a career? You know, I'm still, I'm still in the process of deciding. I think, um, I just, I, uh, <laughs> I got to come up with one soon. Uh, turns out my backup is just sitting at home for a year. I am um, your Asher and Daddy Instagram. Yeah, the Asher and Daddy. I have a friend who discovered it and is now kind of obsessed with you. That's great. So yeah, my wife is convinced that's going to be our ticket to the top. Um, we so I, you know, I was doing plays and whatever in high school, and um, then I did a, a pre-college program at Carnegie Mellon the summer before my senior year. I went and. Uh, it's designed to sort of let you try out what a conservatory program is like to see if you'd like that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, there's a mock audition. So you can see what a college audition is like. And I did it. And then a, a few weeks later, um, Carnegie Mellon reached out and said, look, if you just want to come here next year, you can come here next year. That's awesome. I said, oh, cool. Um, so I, you know, I finished up high school just by the skin of my teeth and, you know, it, it, it's all been sort of, um, being an actor in the theater specifically always seemed like to me where the Venn diagram of thing I like, thing I'm good at, and thing that I could make money with mm-hmm. most aligned, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think 
you know, if you're very, very lucky and supported and privileged, then like you, you get to make those kinds of choices. And so I thought like, well, this seems to be where the most overlap exists, right? There, there are other things that I like and absolutely I have hobbies and there are other things that I could even see myself happily doing for a living. But as far as like natural talent, opportunity and, and perceived potential for a career, this, this felt like the right thing. And the fact that like, the market, for, like to speak really frankly, kept on bearing that out mm-hmm. was uh, encouraging. You know, like I got into a good school and then I got a good agent and then I got a good job. Like, were you, did you apply for any other schools? Or you were just like, I'm going to Carnegie Mellon. I, uh, I had, before I got in Carnegie, I think I had a list of like 12 or 13 schools I was going to apply to. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I narrowed it down to just Juilliard and NYU and I auditioned both because I wanted to live in New York I was like I want to be in New York I know that mm-hmm. uh, I did not get into either uh, I, I made the callback at Juilliard which was like a crazy experience NYU told me that my grades which were very bad were too bad for me to go to NYU which is like fair enough but you know um, at least maybe they wanted you for the theater program so that's encouraging Hopefully. yeah 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 but, I mean I just I I, I I was a smart kid, but I was a lazy kid and I, I just didn't um, do it. I understand like, that completely. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had, I, I had pretty, I had a pretty rough time scholastically mm-hmm. in high school, but um, the fact that like stuff just kind of kept happening for me, um, you know, not by accident, like I was doing the work, but like the fact that I felt it paying off and mm-hmm. that I felt some sort of forward momentum and some progress mm-hmm. has sort of kept me here and you know there there have been periods of years sometimes where there's not a gig and um luckily I think uh I talked myself into it enough when I was young that I, I have the patience and the mm-hmm. perseverance to kind of push through those times yeah so let's talk about do you okay so do you remember what you auditioned with at like oh, yeah. or Juilliard or what you audition with do you remember or yeah you, um my pieces, I did a, um, uh, a monologue from Fat Pig, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. by our buddy. And um, it was an auto monologue, which I still remember every word of. And I did- um, I have a, I, I did um, my senior of college for showcase. I did reasons to be pretty. Mm-hmm. So I'm very well versed in the Steph monologue. Oh yeah. I still remember it. That's the thing. I just drilled those pieces so hard. My college pieces, especially I drilled so hard that I, mm-hmm. if I ever, also I coach uh, students now. And I, mm-hmm. sometimes I use these monologues. I'll give them to other actors. Mm-hmm. actors so it's fun to revisit them. So I had that auto piece and I did um, Dromeo of Syracuse from Comedy of Errors. And mm-hmm. I had um, my backup piece, which I don't think I ever actually did was in an audition was um, from a play called Does a Tiger Wear a Necktie? which was Al Pacino's first play in like, I feel like I can picture him saying, does the tiger wear a necktie? Yeah, this is like in the, I think the early sixties. Mm. Um, and uh, it was just- Did you throw on a hoo-ha? No, <laughs> I did. It was just yeah. this like really raw, angry mm-hmm. piece that I'm sure I, I wasn't pulling off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think anyone ever asked to see it. So that I got lucky in that, in that regard. No, I'll tell you what. I'm so next time we do a reading together, I'm going to say, Cobra, before we actually start this reading, I need you to audition for me with that oh monologue. Oh so boy. I know, like, I want to work with you for a 80th time. Ooh, it's, it must be, I'm sure I have it somewhere. I do not remember it, but I, I fully remember all of, uh, was it food chain? It was food chain, not fat pig. It's food chain. 
it was Food Chain and, and uh, Comedy Virus. But I remember every word of those. Apparently, just not the titles. I did that show in college, The Food Chain. Yeah, it's I a good one. Food. Yeah, to it's which, a good play. Yeah, so I was pretty much playing myself in like 30, 40 years. Long yeah. Island accent, Jewish. Sure, perfect. Where was the acting? <laughs> Gray hair and I'm good to go. Yeah, we were, I got really lucky. And then um, I, I had to convince them to let me sing. Uh, when, when I was leaving Carnegie Mellon, they do like a showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, because I, in my research I've done of you before this oh, podcast, uh-huh. you graduated with a degree in acting, right? That's in right, yes, theater? exactly. Well, here's the thing. I don't dance. I'm not good at it and I don't like to do it. Mm-hmm. So I auditioned my, my, that pre-college program that I mentioned, that was musical theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of the thing I auditioned and they, when they offered me a spot, they said, listen, we would love to have you interacting department or a musical theater program if you can get your dancing together. So you have a year. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you would start here in a year. Your, your singing is fine. It's right where we need you. Your, your acting is right where we, what we're looking for, but you can't dance. So you have this year. So mm-hmm. take some dance classes in Ohio, get yourself together. And then when you come here in the fall, you'll, you can join our, our acting major and audition to transfer over to the musical theater part. We just need to see you dance. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And promptly took zero dance classes that whole year. So still had like the nerve to show up at CMU and still audition. Can to you switch at over. least do a time step? No. Okay. I can't either. And I've had... <laughs> I've even had like five-year-olds because I worked at a dance studio try to teach me and my body like physically cannot do a time step. Yeah, I, I tried to, they tried to teach me for 12th night and it um, got cut. Which I saw in the park and I fucking love. It was pretty good. Yeah. Oh, by the um, way, I actually am friends with, were, yeah, friends with the uh, the person who did the Twitter for American Theater Wing that would always flirt with Oh, wow. Yeah. I always thought that Twitter relationship was going to get me a Tony Award. Well, I mean, I, I did like, she messaged me about something and I was like, I'm so surprised that you didn't like, you weren't freaking out over the fact that I'm like doing these readings with Andrew Kober. And then they said, I like tweeted him a goodbye, but he never followed the tag I sent him. So I was just like, I'm good. I got to find it. I'll find it. I'll tell, ta- I'll, 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 when this is done recording, I'll, I'll let you know who it is. Okay, great. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> that's funny. So I didn't take any dance classes. So mm-hmm. they said, do you want to just be an actor? I said, okay. And uh, that's what I did. I took private voice lessons kind of on the side, just on mm-hmm. my own time, on my own dime, I think. Yeah. And then come senior year, um, I had to really lobby to get them to let me sing at our showcase. Yeah. Because um, I wasn't a musical theater major. So, you know, which is a reasonable <laughs> argument on their part. Yeah. Um, but I think I made the argument that like, you know, if, if the intention of this is to show off your graduating class in the best possible light, mm-hmm. this is an asset that I have and yeah. I should probably that sell that. Somebody, cause with our, I went to Pace University before, mm-hmm. you know, before it is what it is now back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I was in college, I watched someone showcase and they did a monologue and then they sang a song and they were an acting major. So yeah. I did a scene. The deal was like everyone gets to do all the actors do either. The actors do a scene in a monologue. The musical theater kids do a scene in a song. Mm -hmm. And I so I did a scene in a song instead of a monologue. But my scene was um, at that time, there was like a trend of all these sitcoms featuring like 
it's still sort of a thing, but not as much as it was back in 2006. But uh, it was like a trend of like big, like burly dudes, which I was, and like petite, beautiful women being like couples on yeah. sitcoms. Like that yeah. was the thing. Um, and so I went, okay, I see this trend. Let's see if I can monopolize on that. So I teamed up with like the most beautiful girl in my class, who's a terrific actor. Mm-hmm. And we did a, a I just transcribed a scene from the pilot of Mad About You, which is my favorite sitcom that like not that a lot of people have seen, but not people know well enough to be like, that's Mad About You. And your dog is named after the dog. My dog Murray is named after the dog Murray. I remember things in rehearsals. Mm -hmm, Very good. Talk about. Uh, So we did this Mad About You scene, which I think went over really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I sang this Jeff Blumenkrantz song called Hold My Hand, which was this like really beautiful, simple song that like does enough vocally to show that I'm a singer. And um it, it, I think it just went over really well. I was really, really happy with it. What, yeah, but it's those those kind of like major audition moments, the stuff that you just drill so hard for so long. Like I'll never forget those pieces. My, my college auditions and my showcase pieces, they're in yeah. me forever. I, I did, what did I do for showcase? I did a monologue from Epic Proportions. Oh, sure. That really closed out the show case. And I did a scene from Reasons to be Pretty. Mm-hmm. But I also got cast with the worst actor in the acting department because nobody wanted to work with me, mm. which is a whole nother story oh, for another time because I did not have a very easy senior year of college. I'm sorry to hear that. Because people suck so hard. Very often. They're horrible humans. Sure, they can. Not everybody. No. But there are some people out there. Sure. We're just really not very nice people. That's true. true. So from your showcase, did you get an agent? I did. We showcased in New York and LA. Mm -hmm. And um, LA actually went a little better for me. But Mm -hmm. they both went fine. But LA was like pretty good. Um, But I didn't want to live in Los Angeles. (laughs) Just like I'd always wanted to live in New York. And I also sort of figured like, I'm a singer and uh, during the inevitable times that I won't be working, it'll be easier to pick up like something to do as a singer in New York than, um, than not. And yeah. so I, yeah, I signed with a manager who I'm still with 15 years later and um, an agent and a commercial agent who I'm also still with after 15 years. That's amazing. Um, so yeah. how, what was your first thing out of college that you got cast in? I did it. Uh, I made some poor choices is mm-hmm. what I did. So I, while I was in New York for the showcase, I got an audition for the Williamstown Theater Festival, which is a really mm-hmm. fantastic place to work, you know, really highly acclaimed and wonderful summer theater festival. And then they offered me a spot in their non-equity company. And I was like over the moon and I was going to go and be in their non-equity company. And I was going to be a very, very small part in a production of Sweet Bird of Youth, Mm-hmm. Um, that I want to say Marissa Tomei was going to star in. It was like some somebody fancy was going to do Sweet Bird of Youth and I was going to have two lines or whatever um, and be in the non-act company and I was going to learn. And I was really excited. Mm-hmm. And even my, my new manager and my agents were all like, this is a great opportunity for you. This is a good kind of learning opportunity. And so that was going to start in the summer. And so I had a kind of couple of months before that was going to happen. At that point, my mom had moved to New Jersey. And so I was staying with her and just kind of killing time until I was going to go to Williamstown and kind of going on a couple auditions here and there. And then um, the week before I was going to go to Williamstown, I found myself in final callbacks for three different gigs at the same time. I was in finals for 
um, the first revival of Les Mis, mm-hmm. which is not the one that I was in, but the That's one before the one that. Alex Avignani, my best friend. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, I joke, my best friend, I like Alex. We get along great, actually. But like, he's he's the, I'm the poor man's him. Like, he, he gets the fancy. You know ideas. what? Haven't used him in a reading. And, well, that's true. and he hasn't been on my when podcast. When it comes to your readings, I'm, I'm in a much better position. You are. Um, okay, I'm really great at casting because when I was reading the understudy, I had somebody else in mind for that part. But when I read it, I was like, nope, this is Andrew Cober. I'm really still so flattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Les Mis and it was Suburbia, which they were doing at second stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan Fogler was leaving Spelling Bay. Dan mm-hmm. Fogler was leaving the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. They were looking for a replacement. And so I was in final callbacks for all of those um, and sort of figured like, I'm going to get one. Like, I'm going to get one of them. I don't know which, maybe more than one. But like, I'm going to book one of these for sure. Cocky, stupid. And so I uh, backed out of Williamstown and I told them like, I'm not going to come. I think I'm going to have some work here in the city this summer. And so like, it's not going to work out. They were very, very gracious. Um and then I promptly did not book any, any of those gigs. Like I didn't get any of yeah. them, um, which is like fine. And I had friends that booked all of them. Like a lot of my Carnegie Mellon classmates booked those gigs. My buddy from Carnegie, Josh Gad replaced, uh, uh, what's his fuck, uh, Dan Fogler. And like, that's oh, great. What is he doing now? I, exactly. Whatever happened to him. Josh Gad. Exactly. Josh, I, I just have to mention, cause it's absurd. Like that. So when I showed up at Carnegie Mellon, Mm-hmm. I got there in 2002. Wasn't that the, him, Rory O'Malley, mm-hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. and Josh yep. Corbin for like a yes. half second? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was I a know. bonkers class. And yeah. the class below them was Megan Hilty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think some other, I don't remember who, Katie Mixon was in that senior class. She's like a giant sitcom star now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like an insane time to be there. Yeah. Um, so Josh has gone on to good things, which yeah. is great. They all have Josh, Rory, and Leslie. Do you keep in touch with all of them still? Uh, you know, every so often, like I'll run into Josh or, or Leslie at a thing and we have a nice, hi, how you doing? But like, yeah, again, they, like, they were the seniors when I was there. I know them better from like being in New York than I do from being yeah. in Pittsburgh. Uh, so they were, they're older, right? They were seniors when I was a freshman. Got it. Okay. So we only overlapped for a year and I was just like some freshman kid. Like they didn't yeah. know me. Um, but I know them a little bit now from being in New York. So we, uh, I didn't get any of those gigs. I was, and then I had the whole summer. So what I did get uh, after a few weeks was um, a dinner theater production of The Full Monty uh, <laughs> up in Westchester at the now really sadly closed Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a COVID casual, casualty, I'm sorry to say. Um, but we did The Full Monty up there which was, you know, totally fun. The plan was I was going to get my equity card at the end of that gig. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Spelling Bee came back around. They, had, they The tour went out mm-hmm. and they had someone who just didn't work out on the tour. And so I, I was like, oh, last minute, can you be here in three days replacement on the road? That's awesome. That was great. I saw Spelling Bee with uh, Daryl Hammond. Oh, yeah? Was, yeah. And it was my first time ever seeing it. And where we were sitting, seated, he was coming down the audience with the flagpole. Yeah, yeah. And I just went, woo, towards him. And he turned around and went towards <laughs> me. And I was like, oh my God. Because like I mentioned to you guys before, I'm such a huge SNL fan. Yeah. So that was a very big moment for me. That show is a really, you know, it's, it's funny. That show is the last show that I came to as like a pure fan before joining the business. Like yeah. that was... 
before I was anywhere near like actually being a professional, it was the last show that I met as just a pure fan. And I, I saw it, I think two or three times on Broadway. I bought those premium seats on like the benches Mm -hmm. for $200, which was like a huge stretch for me. But I was like, I want to soak this show up I was such a big Bill Finn fan Mm -hmm. and like I just thought the writing was so smart and the performances were so good Mm -hmm. um and so then I got to go on the road and then after the road I got to understudy the whole original cast when they went to LA to do it so like I got to be there with like all of them with you yeah. know the whole crew and it was Julia magic and, and I can't Jesse believe it. And yeah Sarah. and like Sarah oh, Salzberg who's a genius yeah. and Derek Baskin is and Lisa Howard oh my god yeah. like just the best group of folks to be with and I learned so much it, it, it was like a magic first gig to give him my equity card and like put a little money in my pocket it was great yeah so where did the morons come about oh god Later. Do you not want to talk about it? <laughs> no, no. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know the morons that well, but I knew that there's like some sort of. And then I also don't know the origin of your middle name being Rebecca. That's a joke with them or something. I don't really know if I know either. I think one of them just changed my Wikipedia. It's not on there anymore. I looked. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I watched like a YouTube video of you getting some sort of like Drew Gasparini award for being at every single one. Yes. So okay. okay. So the morons are me, Drew Gasparini, Alex Brightman, and F. Michael Haney. And um, we met in like 2010, I think, or 11. I had, I had done hair in New York and in London, and I came back and I was like, I didn't have any kind of job whatsoever. And so I was kind of bumping around and doing concerts and just saying yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I said yes to was another composer asked me to sing and they were doing like three songs down at the 92nd Street Y Tribeca. They used to do this concert series down there where like established composers interview up and coming composers. And I was singing the music of some composer and Stephen Flaherty was the host that night. And Drew was the other composer on the bill. I was not singing Drew stuff, but like, after I sang, I hung around, which now never in a million years, but oh, at no, the time. I, I heard the sound clip of the, so <laughs> whenever, there's a, whenever there's a cabaret, yeah, I always do the Uber, to which this I said, true. if we ever do a reading series cabaret, I hope Cobra like doesn't like peace out, I'm out of here. Well, now I'm like so starved for human interaction. Like these days I would hang out. Oh, the, I have a lot of plans for this cabaret if and when it ever happens. Terrific. I'm like in. I still really wholeheartedly want you and Vosk to sing, move on. Great, I'm, I'm, I'll be there to just tell me when. I, we're, we're figuring it out. Okay, great. It might um, end up just being in Central Park randomly at this point, who knows? <laughs> okay. Um, so I heard Drew's music and it, I connected with it. I thought it was great mm-hmm. and um, so I, I, I sort of went up to him after the concert and said, hi, I'm, I'm Andrew. And I, I think I should be singing your music. And it, I found out that he was friends with Alex, who I, I had just done a cabaret with at the duplex. Mm-hmm. Somebody did like Broadway sings Bruce Springsteen, I think was the thing. And uh, Alex and I were both participants and like just had a fun night at the duplex. And so like, mm-hmm. I kind of knew they were connected. And so I met them and then later they introduced me to F and cause they were kind of a trio mm-hmm. uh, cause Alex and F had gone to college together. And so I um, just kind of glommed on to their whole thing. I think they need, I'm like a couple years older than those guys. Mm-hmm. And I think they needed a, 
an authority figure. They need a father figure to <laughs> kind of Can keep they remind you of that? Or they're like, we just need a father figure. All, all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I'm, I've always been, uh, I'm a little older than they are, but also like just generally, like I'm, I'm, I've always been a little mature for my age. Like mm-hmm. I'm, okay. I was married well before they were, I, I, and I have a, a kid Child. and like, you know, yeah. a house in the suburbs. And like, I, um, I'm just in a different, I've always been like in a different place in my life than they are. Um, even though now they're, they're getting old too and settling down. Um, but we just hit it off and I had never really had like dude friends before. Like mm-hmm. that was new to me and still is a little bit, but, uh, now we're close as close to me. Like they were the groomsmen at my wedding and I, I officiated Alex's wedding. I married him. Um, yeah. so we're, you know, those are my boys. So they're all writers. I'm not, they're all, uh, writers. They're songwriters and script writers and writers. And so we've done now um, at Drew's concerts and at F's concerts, we've done songs together at other people's concerts we have. And we did one one-off show that was the four of us for 90 minutes or whatever called The Morons Happy Hour, which um, at the Slipper Room. And that was really, really fun. And I am so grateful that there is no recording of it because like it was not... <laughs> It was not good. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it wasn't good. Like, nor was it cool. Like, like, especially it would be like more self-indulgent. The show extremely self-indulgent. Yeah, I feel like now, though, with like the popularity of like Alex Brightman and you and Drew getting a little bit more notoriety and working on the Karate Kid musical. Um, I know it's because my roommate, my old roommate is also a big fan of Drew Gasparini. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like, he's working on the Karate Kid because she's she works in producing and I think they're working on it with him. So I think now though, if you did this show, it'd be very different. I'm sure it would. And I'm sure we'd, we'd have much better sense of how to do it. Well, the, the problem is uh, not really for me but, or for F cause he's on hiatus too. He's playing Olaf on the frozen tour, but not mm-hmm. right now. He's not, yeah. um, but like Drew and Alex are both super busy cause they're both yeah. really successful writers. And, and Alex has been doing a lot of acting during the pandemic even. And um, it's just scheduled. So Billy Crystal movie that's coming out. Yeah. I think he's in there. He did, you know, some episodics and he a appeared on stuff. the first episode of Smilf. Yes, famously, uh, all of him appeared on the first. All of him appeared. I watched it. I was like, okay. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I uh, didn't watch it because I want to maintain a friendship with him. But uh, sure enough, the night it aired, I must have received 12 or 15 screenshots from friends who were just looking out for me. Um, So that's helpful. It's a whole new meaning to dick pic. But we, I mean, like, we're also very close. I talked to all of them today. We're, we're all going, great. um, we've, we've rented a cabin in the woods together this summer for a long weekend because wow. we just miss each other. <laughs> so we're just going to go reconnect. You were telling, I think Jess and I, like reasons for either pretty or happy that you like to plan these big extravagant dinners and you and Alex, were going to go somewhere. We're in Chicago. Yeah. That now it's New Orleans. I think, oh, okay. um, we well i mean we just like you need like all... a chicago restaurant my sister goes to northwestern or oh. she just graduated and so i appreciate it yeah we um yeah i mean we all just the four of us really miss each other like we yeah. we haven't all four been in a room in more than a, you know probably a year and a half now and uh we miss each other and so alex and i are serious foodies and i'm also a serious traveler and so um we we sort of 
or we just blocked off a few days to like go somewhere and eat everything. So Alex yeah. and I, I think in June are going to go do that. Um, but we, uh, yeah, so like we're going to, we too cute. Like we're going to a baseball game together, all of us. And like, it's a nice friend date weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And like right now, um, all four of us seem to be in pretty good places. Um, I actually weirdly live in the same little small town that Alex's brother moved to right after I did. And so like, you know, like we're all, we're just family. Like those boys are family. Yeah. Um, I, we all very much want to make something together again soon. I'm, I'm really lucky to have sort of hitched my wagon to them because I'm, again, I'm not a writer. I don't have any intentions or aspirations of being one, but they are really great writers. And uh, I'm sure, uh, listen, I'm sure something out of this cabin in the woods weekend something <laughs> maybe maybe who knows it's gonna be fun we're looking forward we're gonna go to a minor league baseball game yeah <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great or we're you really can excited. write they can write a show about minor league baseball and that'll be another baseball musical for you to do i think i've done three musicals done or plays? Three, new three new baseball musicals interesting uh yeah it's people love writing musicals about baseball and they love putting me in them. I'm very happy to be in them. There's a uh, play. I don't, I think it's called back, back, back. There's an actor who I've done a reading with twice. And then I, like I've said to you, if there's ever a show you want to do, cause if we like working with someone, we'll be like, we want to work with you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want. So this actor like sent me a huge list and one of them is a baseball play. Cool. Maybe I'll get you two to do it together. Apparently I'm the great expert on baseball musicals. Yeah, well, it's not a musical, it's a play, so maybe... I know how to do them. I was about to do one right before the pandemic, and whoops. Oh, is that what you were working on before the panty hit? I was going to start rehearsals uh, beginning of April of last year. For, Where were they going to do it? At the Duke on 42nd Street. Mm-hmm. Um, it was this really cool piece called Akmatova, and it just... I, I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day again, but it was an exciting idea while it lasted. Yeah, did it have a good cast and everything? Yeah, it was like... It, it was sort of it's about this um this woman whose name is Akhmatova and she's sort of set in Russia and uh there was this amazing ballet dancer whose name escapes me who was going to be her and there were these amazing kind of dance sequences that she was going to do and I was this uh Jewish writer who they had sort of a relationship and it was just this really like interesting dark romantic piece and that had to do with baseball no, 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 no. <laughs> I you was, think we're doing no. a show about baseball. No, 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 no. I have done many, but this one was not about baseball. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I swear. I thought you said I was about to do one about baseball. No, I may have, but no, uh, no. Okay. This one had nothing to do with baseball, but it would have been cool. It was a shame oh. it didn't work out. Whoops. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of this musical called Beast of the Jungle. I think I saw at the Vineyard Theater. Hmm. I don't know. Tony Asbach and someone else. Uh, he's an all of them. dancer who was in yeah well he's a he's a very good dancer you know what i went so i had an audition for that um how prince show mm-hmm. um prince of broadway yep i, <laughs> I went it. in yes i went in when it was still sort of in development and they hadn't quite figured out what it was going to be yet and i don't know why they called me in. i didn't really know anybody on the team but i went in for stro and hal and uh, I think Jason Robert Brown was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had me sing a couple of things. They had me sing, She Loves Me. Mm-hmm. And 
something else. I don't remember what. I was trying because um, my roommate's boss is one of the producers of that. So I got to see final dress rehearsal. So when you mentioning that, I'm like trying to think of who you would have well, played. I'm going to tell you who I would have played. So I do, it was either She Loves Me or Tonight at Eight and something from Parade. Mm-hmm. And I sing the songs. They go great. Everybody's mm-hmm. very enthusiastic. And Stroh says, okay, Andrew, that's great. So um, for this role, we're really looking for um, someone who can really, who, with really, really strong movement skills. So are you a strong mover? Asks Susan Stroman to me. And I said, the best I could come up, I was like, well, uh, you know, I got here without falling down from my apartment. That was the best. I, I was like, that's, so that's something, right? And I got a laugh from Hal and uh, sort of like a, a snicker from Stro, and they said thank you, and then I, I went away. And it turned out to be Tony Asbeck's track in that. Really? So, yeah, I think did. they reworked who sang what, he, but they, yeah, they did because Brandon Uranowitz sang from "She Loves Me." Yeah, well, and well, yeah, and I think Asbeck did do "Parade," and he did Tony. And then yeah, I think it was all still very, very much in flux at that point, but yeah. Whatever, for whatever reason, that track they were envisioning someone who could move well, according to Susan Stroman, and yeah. I'm not that guy. No. <laughs> Susan, Stroman. can you move well? Can you dance? Yeah. yeah, I can do this with my arms. I was about to say, like, look, I, I my apartment's all the way uptown, and I got here, and not mm-hmm. once did I fall over. Imagine if you lived in Jersey at the time. You're like, I got from my home in Jersey. <laughs> I traversed a river. Over, I, <laughs> I, I, I walked over the river on a boat. Yeah, I think at the time I lived on 86th Street, so it wasn't that big of a feat, but still, yeah. it's a couple miles. Yeah, you know, wherever the audition was, probably Midtown. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like 50 blocks, that's not so bad. It's not nothing. Yeah, so how did hair come about? Um, I saw that the public was doing it at the mm-hmm. Delacorte for three nights. Originally, it was a three-night concert. They announced like mm-hmm. hair, three-night concert. I said, oh, I didn't know hair. I said, but I knew it was a rock musical and I liked singing rock. So I called my agents, my brand new agents, and I said, hello, it's me, Andrew Kober from um, Showcase. Do you think you could get me an audition for hair? I heard they're doing hair. And they came back and they said, they won't see you. They don't want to see you. I said, oh, well, thank you. And I went to the open call. Like I had heard that open calls were a thing mm-hmm. and uh, I had never been to one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got my little book and I went down to the public on Lafayette Street and I sang a Billy Joel song, mm-hmm. which in retrospect is not a good choice for hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wore like like um, ripped up jeans and like a t-shirt and like I sang Billy Joel. And uh, Heidi Griffiths, the, the associate casting director at the public said, uh, well, she told me later that she thought like, that was not a great song choice, but it seems like there is something that might be cool about him. So yeah. I want to give him another shot. Mm-hmm. So um, she called me back. And so my agents called me and said, we have, I guess, a callback for you for hair. I was like, oh yeah, I went to that. And they said, oh, great. Okay. Um, and so I, anyway, I got the callback and I went and they called me back for the dad role for Claude's dad. Um and I, you know, I did the material. I think I picked a better song that time. Um, and then I was on my way out of there. But it turns out that the dude who was assisting Diane Paulus was this guy, Dan Ragazzi, who I had gone to Carnegie Mellon with. He was, a, he was a grad director in the grad directing program when I was an undergrad actor. And we had worked together a little bit. And one of the plays that I did at, at Carnegie was a new adaptation of Liz Estrada. Interesting. Um, 
in which I played a woman for, for part of the show. I played the Corinthian woman. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and Dan had seen that or worked on it or something. And he so he said, after I did my dad stuff, which I think was like adequate, I left and they said, can you hang out for a second? And I guess Dan said to Diane, he was like, listen, I, we're still looking for Margaret Mead too. Like I've seen this guy do a female role before. Like I bet he could do it. And so they brought out the sides to me and they gave me a few minutes and I went in and I did it. And I think I'm like, I, I don't think this is false modesty. I think I got the gig because that first summer they only had a handful of equity contracts to use. Mm-hmm. And I think I saved them one. But the fact that they could cast the same actor as the dad and Margaret Mead mm-hmm. opened up another equity contract that they could use elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also because so you look so much like your mother without a beard. Yeah. I don't know if Dan knew Olga Kober at that point, but uh, we, yeah, I got the gig. It was like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got that gig. It was amazing. Uh, You know, it was, and it was one of those things that like, I especially know now that if if I had auditioned for Hair of the Broadway Revival, I almost certainly wouldn't have gotten it because the people that came in for that were so great and like so much better than we were. We just kind of like, fell into a Broadway show by accident. We were really just trying to do a show for a couple of nights in the park. Yeah. Um, so we did three nights in the park and that was a, a, a success. And so they brought us back next summer to do a full run, which mm-hmm. felt like a miracle. Um, well, how does something like that happen? Cause you, you know, you did it and then it comes back where they're like, oh, if it comes back, we'll definitely keep you or. You know, I think we, none of us had that in our contract or anything. I, I think it was sort of, two things. I think it's sort of like the ethos of the show. Like, I think there is like, as much as certainly by the time we arrived on Broadway, like it's a, it's a big commercial enterprise, but Mm -hmm. there is a thing about hair where the material sort of informs the vibe of the gig too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it would have felt pretty bad to the rest of us if anyone had not been asked to return. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think that ever happened. I think, I mean, there were 26 of us on stage that first summer and all 26 were asked back. Not all of us came, but um, mm-hmm. I think we lost maybe three or four people in between the two summers, but I, I know that was those actors' choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when we went to Broadway, it was sort of the same thing. Like it, it, it didn't go through agents or anything. Like we had a meeting at the Delacorte and Oscar said, I'm taking you to Broadway. <laughs> and uh, we sort of went, okay. Um, you know, there was never any discussion of like contracts or first refusal or anything like that. It was just like, you guys are the show and this is the show we're taking. And it was the same thing with London. They called a full company meeting at the Hirschfeld and said, we're going to London. You're all invited. Who wants to come? And it was like, it's like stuff like that just kept happening with that show, which was, um, sort of magical and and strange. Well, I mean, I, as a fan of the revival, I saw it many times and I believe there was something very special about that show yeah I think you're right I think um there was uh I think we got really really lucky with the right people at the right time in the right environment and you know Mm -hmm. like um societally and politically it was a great moment for that show to be happening Mm -hmm. I think um it was really well done and well directed but I think it was especially well cast and I think that uh kind of goes a long way with a show like that. Like, mm-hmm. I think the charisma of the, by the time we got to Broadway, it was 32 of us in the cast. And just like, we all loved each other so much and felt so strongly and passionately about the material and about doing it justice and about um, 
doing the job as well as we could every night. We knew it was like a magic thing that we were a part of. Um, And, you know, certainly it's like, you know, especially for those of us that have been around since the first summer when it was like a nothing gig Mm -hmm. that we were just so excited to be a part of. Yeah. All of a sudden we're on this night show and we're on the Tonys and we're at the Macy's parade. And we're, you know, it's like once the kind of like fancy shiny stuff showed up, it felt like such gravy on top of the thing because we had worked so hard to build such a great thing that we all felt so strongly and, and personally about mm-hmm. um, that any kind of success that it had commercially or critically um, was like nice but not the point for us at all we were so we were so in love with each other and with doing the show every day yeah well I think that's also what hair is anyway because you guys are a tribe so what was it like performing the show in London because they always say there's the audiences are different depending on where you're going so I was like hair over to London yeah we were not as successful in London um like the Brits didn't like hippies touching them they i think they thought we were okay mm-hmm. um i think that there are a number of reasons that it was not as successful in london um i think that hippies were not as much of a cultural touchstone for english people as they were in america like they were sort of doing mod while we were doing hippies like yeah. it was not as much of a thing and i think um there may have also been like a little bit of resentment about like why did they bring over 26 Americans to do a show on the West End? Like, yeah. I think I think there may have been a little like, all right, well, let's see what you've got about all of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, I think those of us that went, which again was like almost all of us, we were happy to be there. And we, you know, we were certainly met with a lot of kindness and generosity um, in that community. Um, but we were, I think the biggest disappointment, we were all going to come home after six months anyway. That was the arrangement. Like we were going to go for six months and then we were going to be replaced by British actors and the show was mm-hmm. just going to, you know, continue to have its life. Um, ultimately, we ended up just closing, the show closed when we came home because um, it never really sort of caught on there. And mm-hmm. so we all felt, I, I shouldn't speak for anybody else. I felt a little bit, um, I, I felt responsible sort of for like, you know, the house staff and the, the backstage crew and like the, our swings who were, who were local Brits who were going to stay on. And like, you know, there, there was a lot of jobs that yeah. sort of um, were hopeful that they were going to go on. You know, we, we had the real place of privilege and of luxury to kind of show up, do our job and go home. And, and whether the show was successful or not in any way, it didn't really affect our gig. Like we were going to do our yeah. thing. Um, we did the show as, as well as we could. And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, just never totally caught fire there. Yeah. But it was still, I mean, like one of the best, most magical experiences of my life, like yeah, to get to go live in London for six months. And we, we were in a theater that adjoined the theater where Les Mis was running. And at the time, I think Nick, one of the Jonases was in the show. Yeah, it was, and it like, was Nick like, Jonas. Yeah. And it was like such a scene over there. Like every day we shared this back alley with them and it was such a thing for that Jonas. Yeah, it's because he also did how to succeed. He was I think, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the third replacement, but one of my best friends is an usher and she ushered at the Hirschfeld and I was meeting her outside and this is when Darren Chris was in the show. Mm-hmm. The hundreds and hundreds of people at the stage door just like waiting for him. Yeah, it's a wild scene. I mean, and you know, we we had a lot of that during hair in New York. 
And then we did not in London. <laughs> like there yeah. were, you know, every day two or three people would hang out and want to say hello. And we were always very happy to meet anybody, but it was yeah. just not, it was not, and at first we were like, well, maybe that's just not a thing in England. Like maybe the stage door culture isn't really a thing. And then once Jonah showed up next door, we were like, no, it's us. Okay, great. Yeah. It's just us. Well, no, I mean, it could just <laughs> be a Jonas thing. You know, I don't I really, guess. but I also don't know the, cause I, I've only been to London once and my friend and I saw a play and we weren't going to stage door because we're like we're in our 30s like we don't really do right. that anymore but i mean i don't really know what the stage door experience is like for like non-celebrity type people in london yeah well for, uh, speaking only for us it was not much of a thing which again like doesn't yeah. matter like that's that's not the reason you do anything and it was also we had like a, a pretty fun little like expat community in London while we were there. Like Patina was there doing um, Sister Act and she was a hair alum and John Groff was there doing a uh, play. I don't remember what it was. Red? He had, hmm? Red was it? No. no, I don't remember. It was really good. Um, and he was another hair alum. Norm Lewis was next door at Les Mis at the time. And so like we had a bunch of, he's the best. And so we had like a lot of Americans that we could like hang around with. He's one of three people I want to sing lead to bed at night. And he's <laughs> the reason I saw Phantom of the Opera again. <laughs> he's a really good, really sweet man. Oh, he touched my arm once. Cause I used to do merch at mm-hmm. um, one of the shows I worked with Porgy and Bess. And he like came out to our merch booths and we were selling his CD. And I don't remember what I said or who said something, but he did one of those like things and he touched my <laughs> arm and he left. And I was like, oh, yeah. Lewis touched my arm. He's pretty great. Yeah. He's one of those, like his voice is so iconic. And I grew up as such a fan of his that, and he's one of those voices where his speaking voice is exactly the same as his singing voice. Mm-hmm. And so he talks to you and you're like, oh. Yeah. I and say so his voice is just out like with him is so wild. Yeah. It just feels like hanging out with one of your favorite cast albums. <laughs> who is that for me i don't even know andrew cober yeah that must be it he's yeah. you know it's like uh, my wife is a very very big fan of his too mm-hmm. and norm's a little bit of a flirt <laughs> and so every time pharaoh would come visit we would all be together and be like hey pharaoh how you doing and i would just watch her fall apart like my wife you know my wife has met some, some very handsome and, and famous men in her day both independently of me and uh through my career but like i've never watched her melt like when norm listen i i get it yeah totally i get it if norm lewis was gonna be like hey how are you i'd be like i'm great (laughs) yeah thank you norm lewis i don't know she was cooler around jake gyllenhaal than around norm lewis (laughs) i feel like maybe i would i don't know i feel like at this point though because i'm like in the business not really yeah but also with the, I don't know how I would be if I ever met Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, you'd be exactly like you are right now. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, because like you're just as like as Jake Gyllenhaal cover. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true. I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I cried when I met Laura Linney. Oh, that's a reasonable response. Yeah. She touched my elbows. It was a beautiful moment. It sounds like it. The first time I met her. Second time stage door, Lisa Barton. I was the only one there to meet her. But, and then there was an autograph seeker, but he ended mm. up being very nice and taking a photo of both of us. Oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, so hair is done, right? Hair's done. Did it. What done. happens next? Like when three do you years look, of unemployment. What's the next Broadway show you do after? Les Mis. Les Mis. So you got the second revival. 
I got the second revival. Yeah, it was a big relief because mm-hmm. I thought I was done in the stone. And were you uh, doing like a bunch of cabarets in between? Yeah, were you getting any like TV gigs? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, little guest starry things. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, little guest star gigs and uh, a lot of cabarets, a lot of concerts, a lot of like. Do you get it? I because I really, I honestly don't know the answer to this, but like, do you for the cabarets and stuff? And they asked you to do it. Do you get a stipend for it, or you just do it, or how does almost that work? never? Okay, it's almost always. You're just not like, going to get one for the readings, there, is it? <laughs> yeah, no. At, at sort of the best case scenario is a drink ticket. Mm-hmm. generally um, or we'll order you your uber for, no, during not, the introduction not that okay. <laughs> never never that okay. only a drink ticket which you know i'm very happy to have mm-hmm. um but you know like when i especially when i was young it's that thing like now i think i have enough perspective to feel a little differently about it honestly mm-hmm. but when i was just getting started and you know you there are so many really talented performers in this town and uh exposure is a big deal getting on stage is a big deal making connections is a big deal having people see you is a big deal Mm -hmm. and so while i i certainly don't support artists being paid in exposure like i think Mm -hmm. this is what we do and it should it should be honored in that way Mm -hmm. um i certainly did a lot a lot of gigs for exposure and uh it worked out i mean really some of the like some of the best long running creative relationships of my life I've made because like they saw me at a 54 and they asked me to sing in their 54 and we got along great and you know whatever yeah or just do like a bunch of readings with me and here we are (laughs) yeah yeah uh well I mean really like I think I'm I would imagine you have found this I would hope you would have found this but I, I think during the pandemic like no one's really saying no to anything. Like I think, honestly, you'd be surprised. Really, that's so strange to me. I, I've I haven't been saying no to much. I'm you know I'm just so happy I to was, kind of like. I was talking to an actor who I worked with, and I you know I was saying like, oh, casting is my least favorite part. Like I'm, I pride myself on being very good at casting, and that's why I think our readings have been very good. Because I mean, yes, the material could be good as well, but if you have like a shit actor. Like, it's just not going to be good. Yeah. Um, but just like, we did a reading with the other reading company we had. And it was a reading of dinner with friends. Mm-hmm. And that I probably would have had an ulcer at some point with just trying to cast that reading. <laughs> and we did Q&As after, as you remember. And one of the questions was, what was the casting process like? Because it was so great. And I said, I don't want to answer that question because it was a lot. Yeah. I don't remember like I, that. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. I mean, listen, sometimes people are busy and they can't do it and they're very grateful, but other times you're just like, no, I don't want to, which yeah. is understandable, you know? And I always say we get who we're supposed to have, but you know, not every time you offer a role to somebody, they're going to say yes for yeah, whatever absolutely. reason. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Um, yeah, I, I I totally understand that, and I was, and you know, even though I wasn't like in any Broadway shows during those years, I was still busy doing the thing that I like to do, and so I was, yeah. you know, I was happy, but I, I would have been happier if I was in a show. So yeah. when Les Mis came along, that was big, uh, that was a big relief, and I was really excited to to do that. I mean, it's Les Mis. I won tickets for my first Broadway show was Les Mis. I was yeah. five. Perfect. For years, I would tell I'm my sure mom. Sure, you loved it at five. 
for years, I was like, you don't take a five-year-old to see Les Mis for years, like for 15, 20 years, you don't take a five-year-old to see Les Mis. And then my mom at one point said to me, she was like, you need to get over it. The tickets were free. (laughs) I mean, look, I am the parent of a five-year-old and I wouldn't take them to see that. But my, so this company I used to work for when I first started, they were, they had Les Mis tickets and they said, we're going to hold a contest. So you have to take a photo in front of a New York Vista and whoever has like the best photos or like best photo is going to win tickets. So if you give me a challenge like that, I'm going to dominate the challenge. (laughs) And so I sent them a collage of like, I even took a photo with the naked cowboy Perfect. And Elmo in Times Square, like Perfect. in front of 30 Rock. like Icons. Fine. Yeah. So I won tickets. Great. And I took my mom to see it. And I actually texted her a photo of Ramin when he like has his shirt ripped open. Yeah. And her response was, hello. So she very much enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, though, I was very <laughs> impressed with Will Swenson in the reading and the musical because I've never heard him sing like that before. Very talented. Yeah. I just followed for a while. I like followed Will and Casey Levy around. We just, there was just the, the three of us, you know, hitting the town. We did mm-hmm. hair and then the Miz. Um, yeah. Le, and like, Le Miz was also the, so good. Yeah. Le Miz was the second in, a, I did four big Broadway revivals in a row. I did Le Miz uh, or hair Le Miz, She Loves Me and Sunday in the Park. Mm-hmm. It was like this string and of revivals. And which one was your favorite? all favorites in different ways right you don't have to answer that really um i mean they're all i mean like i can't think of four more different shows than those honestly like did you (laughs) understudy any big parts in lamez i can't remember nope Mm -mm. nope i was the factory foreman and Mm -hmm. i was like you know i fired fontaine and uh in our production also raped her which you know for Full circle. Casey, who is my who is my mishpucha, like we are we are family and we're at each other. Well, how you said mishpucha because she is Jewish. Right. I'm half. No. My wife is. Shalom. Hey, full flight. Hey, what's up? Right here. I'm not the half that matters. Is my dad said. Yeah. Um. So we. Uh, yeah, Lemis was like a magic thing. Uh, I don't know. No, I didn't understand anything. I just hung around. One time, I went on as the bishop. Um, I did not understand that role, but something must have happened with the coverage. I, I don't know what happened that night, but one night only I, I did play the bishop, which is um, strictly speaking, like out of my vocal range. Like I cannot mm-hmm. sing that low, mm-hmm. uh, but I did on Broadway one time. And you know, and you don't have to do it ever again, unless there's I a sure arrival and they want to cast you <laughs> as the bishop. Yeah. I, look, I'm open to it. Call me. Did Alex Gemignani replace anybody? In my name is no. Yeah. Okay. No, he did not come around. And so, what <laughs> happens after Lame is? Is it she loves me, or is it she loves me? Where I work with Alex's dad, uh, Paul Gemignani, famed music director. Nice. Um, he, yeah, we did. She loves me. So I left Lame is to go to She Loves Me. My mm-hmm. son was born while I was in rehearsals for She Loves Me. Um, wow. She Loves Me was like, I mean, it was like musical comedy fantasy camp. It was like I loved it. <laughs> Yeah. It was like yeah. My friend thing. went to high school with somebody who was in the ensemble. Uh-huh. Mike, I can't remember his last name. He, I think so. He did. He was like the big 
Uh, yeah, yeah, the dancer at the restaurant. Yeah, at the restaurant. So he like we got to go on stage and like we got to look into the perfumer and, that, and I, that's set right. Yeah, and I got to shake my booty. So I got to pretend I was like Jane Krakowski <laughs> while like in the door and I shook my booty towards the audience. Yeah, I mean that that show was like really like that's what you sign up to do musicals for, right? Like that was yeah. it. Um, yeah. It was so magical and. Um, that one I understudied uh, Zach Levi and uh, and uh, also Michael McGraw, who played Sipos, and um, it was like you know it was magic. It was and then Jane Mike and, McGraw left, right? And yeah, then, he left and was replaced by Tom McGowan, who's who an amazing I know actor from the movie Heavyweights. Of course, yeah, iconic it's, classic. Most movie. people do. It turns out that was Tom and I also did one of the baseball musicals together. I love Tom. Oh wow, he played Babe Ruth. <laughs> um, it you know what? Was, I can't uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw him in Wicked. Somewhere. Yeah, he got to he got to be in that one. Someday I'll get there. Uh, but Tom, you know, he wasn't the goat. So I know he was the, the wizard, right? Yeah, I love Tom very much. He's he's a, a terrific guy. We were together a few times. So uh, she loves me. It was like magic. I just like sat and stared at like you know Gavin and Jane and Benanti. Uh, just watched them kind of like do magic things every day in front of me, yeah. and it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and so my son also what was perfect about that was when I was not on my understudy track when I was on my regular gig, I was in like seven minutes and change of the show. I, I, mm -hmm. I timed it. Um, you know, typically I'm not one of those actors like, oh, get me to my dressing room. Like I like to be working, mm -hmm. but my, like I said, my son was born in rehearsals. And so I had an infant, a newborn at home during mm -hmm. the whole time. And we had some challenges when he was a, a very, very, very fresh baby. And so I was just exhausted the whole mm -hmm. time. Like she loves me sort of a blur because I was so tired. But the beauty of it was my very first entrance was that restaurant number, which is the finale of act one. Mm -hmm. And so for like an eight o'clock show, I would roll into work at like seven. And I had bought a like a big dog bed at the um, Target on 8th Avenue. Mm -hmm. And I put it under my dressing room table in studio 54 and I would get to work at seven. I would go under my table and I would go to sleep for like an hour and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I would wake up and put on a tuxedo and do that number. Mm -hmm. Then I would go back to sleep for another like hour. And then I would do 12 days to Christmas, which was the finale of the whole show. And I would bow and I would go home. It was like my, it was like that show was so truly my me time. And I got to sit next to Jim Walton in the dressing room. Who's like, a Broadway legend. He started Merrily We Roll Along, which is uh, I, one of my favorite musicals. Mm -hmm. And he just let me pick his brain forever. It, like that gig was just so special and, and cool. Yeah. So I did that for six months, still closed. And then uh, Sunday in the park. How was Sunday in the park? That was, well, did you do it at City Center? No, I was new for Broadway. I mm -hmm. asked if I could please do it at City Center. And they said, no, we already cast it, but thank you. I said, okay. And so I thought I won't get to be in Sunday in the Park. And I was just like walking around one day and my agent called and said like, look, Sunday in the Park's coming to Broadway. I said, I know. And she said, well, it's all cast. I said, I know. And she said, but they just want to offer you the offstage cover job. And I said, oh, okay. She said, it starts in three days. I said, okay. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I didn't have anything going on. So it just like really like 72 hours later, I walked into the first day of rehearsal for Sunday in the park and it was like 
just a magic thing that kind of fell into my lap. I mean, it, yes and no. Like it was magic and that it fell into my lap and that I didn't audition for it or really pursue it very hard, but also not because it came from a casting director and a team that I had been doing good work for over several years at that point. You know what I mean? Like it's, you work hard to get lucky. It's that thing, right? So yeah. it's the casting director knew me and had seen me do good work and had put me in things before and had not put me in a lot more things than that. But I, you know, I did good work and he was able to go to the creative team who needed a swing and didn't have time for understudies and say, I know the guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so again, it was another one where like, I could just go to work every day and watch Jake and Annalie and like Brooks Eshmanskis, who is one of my dearest friends and is like really to me, like the epitome of comedic musical theater actors. Like, I think he is the best Broadway musical character actor in the world. Yeah. Um, and like, Robert Sean Leonard <laughs> like it was just yeah. like a, a weird magic gig to get to do yeah did you ever get to go on yeah yeah I went on at the third preview for oh, um, wow. Dennis and Franz for like the uh the, he's like a German butler and then he's the he's uh George's assistant in the second act for uh David Turner I had not learned the role I did not know the words or the music or the blocking and I did not have any costumes and I had not rehearsed and I went on at the third preview, um, which was also the photo call. So like all the photos in like the New York Times and whatever of the painting, I'm in the painting in all of those, which I was not usually at night. Um, so I did several shows that first week, David had like a terrible flu or something. And uh, then I went on a few times later in the run. And was everyone times. like, you're just doing a bad job, but keep going. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I was like, doing you know a bad what? job. I'm, good. <laughs> I'm positive I was doing a bad job. Let me tell you something about Jake Gyllenhaal. I, you know. I think Jake, we talked about this, but continue. We may, I don't know. Yeah. He is such a team player and mm -hmm. such a cheerleader for like the team. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was getting thrown on in that role, there, you know, it's, do you know setting the park pretty well? Yes. So there aren't any real like, two-hander book scenes except for George and Dot like those are really yeah. the only ones except for at the very end of the play there's a kind of long scene between Dennis and George when they're at the island setting up the thing like it's like yeah. the scene right before move on it's this like mm -hmm. kind of like the penultimate scene of the show and yeah. that's the scene that I was going to be doing and so in the middle of you know figuring out a costume and trying to learn lines and blocking Jake just said like, hey, do you want to just come to my dressing room and just like do it a few times? Like, would that be helpful for you? And I was like, yeah. And I, and I, we didn't know each other that well. I mean, I was the cover, whatever. So I, I went to Jake's dressing room and we spent probably a half hour just like beating through it. And he was totally game for the ways in which I was different than David and totally open to responding to the things that were happening between us that were different than what had been happening in rehearsal and mm -hmm. it, he, he couldn't have been uh more generous or more accommodating and I, yeah. I, I, it put me enormously at ease yeah i think the thing is with jake Hall too and i think he's like said this in interviews like he's a theater nerd yeah like he grew up with that stuff and i yeah. personally think he's actually better on stage than he is in film yeah i think I mean, I don't, he's really good. I, know, yeah. I think he's good. And he also just took such good care of us. I mean, he was also a producer on the show. So that helped, oh, okay. but like whenever the cast needed advocating for, mm -hmm. 
And like, it was a brand new theater. We were the first show in this theater. Yeah. So there were some kinks that needed to be worked out. Yeah. Jake was always really comfortable being our advocate and standing up for us in a way that um, he was really under no obligation to. Well, it's really funny about that being the first show in that theater with Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, Jake was supposed to do the play Burn This right. to open that theater. Right. But then I don't, conflict scheduling conflict yeah, happened. So they couldn't do it, but he ends up opening that theater anyway with the different yeah. show. They yeah. eventually do do burn this, but with Adam Driver. And he went back and did that other play. Um, see about well, fathers. Yes, yeah, he will. Yeah. Laugh. He's uh, he's the best guy and and uh, like the most normal. He's yeah, like a really really good guy. Mm-hmm. And so then after Sunday, what did I do? I think Twelfth Night happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Which Sunday, I fucking loved Twelfth Night. Me too. My favorite thing. It was so great. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, so we did Twelfth Night a couple of times, and you know, uh, you're wonderful at Shakespeare, by the way. Thank you. I and really you know who appreciate else is? that. Nikki mm. M. James is whoa. Nikki's really on like a good. whole other level. Nikki, Nikki's directing now a lot, which I yeah, think I is heard. terrific. Nikki yeah. is to me like because we had also done Les Mis together. Yes, Nikki is like a, a singularly talented and good person. Yeah, um, and I have an incredible amount of admiration for her. Yeah. Uh, she, man, like that 12th night thing. So it's a public works thing. And yeah. so, you know, there were like 80 or a hundred people in the ensemble and uh, <laughs> Nikki knew every name. She knew uh, everyone's like favorite things. Mm-hmm. She had a relationship, a, like a personal relationship with everyone in that building on like day three. Like she just yeah. has so, she just gives so much of herself uh plus bringing so much like natural talent and hard work to yeah. the piece yeah like, yeah she's uh, yeah I, I don't have enough good yeah. things to say about her and because i i didn't know her to know shakespeare so well and honestly i was sitting there watching i'm like she is so fucking good with shakespeare yeah. she's like, a real thing she's done a bunch of shows at stratford like she's like she, yeah. she's done a lot of shakespeare i didn't know that much about her shakespeare experience i think she did julius caesar right i yeah, saw yeah. her in that yeah yeah she's the real thing she's like yeah. a truly good classical actor yeah she should do more shakespeare thing. has she directed i'm sure she's directing i don't know whether she's directed shakespeare yeah. she's directing television now which i think is really oh really that's great. so great yeah i knew she was getting into directing i just didn't know what she was doing yeah she was into it she like i think she associate directed once on this island with michael yeah. Um, because they're buddies and she was oh my kind God, of curious. That was so good. I saw that it's closing week and I was like, why is this show closing? Yeah. Um, and I guess she just really loved it. So she's kind of yeah. been branching out and doing more and more on her own, which I'm thrilled about. And she mm-hmm. really loves it, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, with the 12th Night thing was like another magic one where we were just going to do it for three nights and then they said, come back and do a full run the next summer. Yeah. Um, was that, did you audition for that or was that a straight offer? Yeah, I did. And I think that I don't imagine that I was the first choice because I, I think my, mm. my assumption, was I don't it know. Alice Gemignani? Probably. Yeah. My, my presumption, and I've never been brave enough to ask anyone who would know whether this is true, but I auditioned really, really close to the start date. Mm. And there were just like a few other Malvolios there. And so I, th- I, I had the sense that the rest of the show was cast and whoever they had made their offer to uh, had fallen through at the last minute. And so, as somebody who's directed a shit ton of virtual readings, um, (laughs) reason the last reasons was my 15th within a year. 
and uh, attempting to cast. I understand that sentiment completely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they, I don't know, but I don't think they usually audition people for public work shows. I think it's generally just straight offers. So I don't know who it had been offered to, but they fell through. And so I think the public just called a few people that they know. And um, I was very happy to get that call and very happy to get that job. Yeah, and you were great. Thanks. It's, I mean, it's just the, the public and the Delacorte, especially like there's something there for me it's just Twelfth Night and Hair are just the best <laughs> not only like the best professional experiences of my life but like some of the best experiences of my life yeah um so yeah I can't believe that we got to do that and to make that album and that people are like mm -hmm. discovering it now and I get tweets yeah. and stuff about it which is so cool yeah it was it was awesome was yeah, that I your first so. time doing Shakespeare or you've done Shakespeare before or like I'm uh, it was my first time doing it professionally okay yeah, I did in college. I mean, you know, I was an acting major and, and CMU does a pretty heavy focus mm -hmm. on classical. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a good amount of experience with Shakespeare, but it had been some time and I had never done it professionally. Yeah. Um, it was only, I've only ever done one non-musical professionally. Like that's, there's sort of a thing that like, once they find out you can sing, they don't want to ever let you not sing. Yeah, um, I think we talked about that too once in rehearsal. With yeah, I may have. Yeah. That's, that's a little thing I hang my hat on. But, uh, and Twelfth Night was a musical, like a full throat yeah. musical and, and unashamedly so. But like, you know, I did a play at the Old Globe a couple of years ago. It's the only time I've ever done a, like a full non-musical play. What play was it? It was a Ken Ludwig play called Baskervilles. It was this like very like 39 stepsy experience where it was four actors playing like dozens and dozens of characters doing The Hound of the Baskervilles. Yeah. Um, and it was Ewan Morton as Sherlock Holmes and it was really, really fun. Do you prefer play to musicals or are you just like willing to do? I haven't done that many. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, done four virtually, but. Well, that's true. I, I guess. Um, but three of which were the same character. So. Right. I think, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's plays. Uh, you can't do a musical if the voice doesn't show up. Yeah. And luckily I have been pretty lucky vocally over my career. Like it, there haven't been many nights where it hasn't shown up. Mm -hmm. um, I think like it depends wildly on the play and on the character and the circumstances. Yeah. But like, if, if you can't sing on any given day for any reason, you could feel great in every other way, but you're not doing that play or yeah. you're not doing that musical rather. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just think that makes your life surrounding a play a little less stressful. Like yeah. for me, if I'm doing a musical, most of my day from the second I wake up is about getting the voice to where it needs to be for the show, mm -hmm. um, which is just for most plays, not as big of a concern. Yeah. So Twelfth Night, when does School of Rock happen? And did you do it before or after Alex left? I did it after Alex left. Mm-hmm which is, I think, good for our friendship. Because <laughs> um, you understudied and went on as Dewey a couple of times, right? Yeah, a lot of times. Did uh, Alex come and give you notes as Dewey? Like, <laughs> he hey. did come and see it, and he was kind enough just to tell me I did a good job. Yeah. Uh, I think he saw like my first time on, which was not cool of him. But What's funny is um, I did a reading with Andrew Barth Feldman. Mm -hmm. And greatest, I was saying- The greatest person. Yeah. And I was like talking about you and I was like, I'm really excited about Cobra doing reasons because, you know, I think Greg is a really great part for him and he hasn't really done anything like that before, which I stand by that statement. Um, 
And he was saying how he had like a full circle, like cover soccer experience. It was a cover like, day, yeah. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I saw him in this thing. And then I was seeing School of Rock that night. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going on his Dewey. So I got to see him go on his Dewey. Yeah. Yeah, we we were doing a reading together. Mm-hmm. And this was before he was like, this was before Dear and Hanson, but I was like, yeah. this kid is special. I knew he was like uniquely, specially talented. Mm-hmm. We were doing a reading together. So we spent the whole day together at the reading. While I was at rehearsal, I got noticed that I was going on that night and I happened to mention it to him and he was like, I'll come. And he, so he came to see me go on. And then I was singing at like the 11 o'clock 54 below show that night that he already had tickets yeah. to. Okay. So we just, we did, we spent like day 17 hours together or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So School of Rock happened, I think between the first and the second 12th night. Um, so I, I had auditioned for it many times, um, never booked it finally I guess the time came it was the same director as Les Mis so like I think he got to know me a little bit during Les Mis Mm -hmm. he cast School of Rock during Les Mis but he didn't really see me for it which was fine um and then as soon as Alex got it as soon as like I heard it was gonna be Alex when Alex said like they're I'm gonna be (coughs) Dewey it was I mean obviously thrilled for him and he was I thought he was a genius in the role and I was his opening night date I, I was never prouder of a friend in my life but I went, oh, well, I won't be in this show. <laughs> like, that's not, mm-hmm. I, I think I think I'm a pretty good actor. I think I'm funny. I, 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 this is not false modesty. I can't do what he does. Like, and he can't do what I do either, like to be clear. But yeah. like, if I sort of went, if that's what Dewey is in the Broadway musical School of Rock, that's just not a skill set that I have. Two, two stories about that. So I actually knew who Alex Brightman was because when I was in college, they did this thing called Pace New Musicals. Mm-hmm. And they did a Ryan Scott Oliver musical of Darling. Oh, so somebody who I was really good friends with at the time, she played, I want to say the character's name is Ursula. She played the Darling girl. Yeah, it is. So um, I've done readings of Darling. I loved it. Yeah. So she would do these concerts and Alex Brightman played Peter. Yeah, so and that he's brilliant. Brian, yeah. And I, so I've known who this guy is for like 10 years. And I was working merch at the Heidi Chronicles and I became very friendly with like the company manager. And she said, yeah, I'm going to go work on School of Rock. And I'm a huge fan of School of Rock. Everybody who knows me knows I love the movie like for years. I will admit though, when I was like, Julian Fellows is doing it. Really guys, come on. But (laughs) um, I asked her straight up before they even announced it. I was like, who's playing Dewey? And she's like, I can tell you, it's going to be Alex Brightman. I was like, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was great casting. Yeah, he, uh, he, and I thought he was terrific. And yeah, uh, the first time I saw it was the day after Thanksgiving when it was in previews. Mm-hmm. And my family used to see a show the day after Thanksgiving every year. And we actually saw an understudy for Dewey mm-hmm. because a majority of the times, whenever you're seeing the matinee the day after Thanksgiving, good majority of the time you're seeing an understudy for one sure, a lot of the time, yeah, for whichever reason. Um, but I was watching the understudy and I said to myself, Alex Brightman will be nominated for a Tony award. Mm-hmm. Well, he was deservedly. So he was, yeah. uh, he was good. Um, and so I sort of thought like, well, all right, I won't be in that one. That's okay. Um, and they, they still like, I had, it was like a running joke of my agents that every six months or so they would call and ask if I wanted to come in. And I would say like, don't they know they're not going to give me this job? Like, this is not my job. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you, you know, I would still go in like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, yeah, it's not beneath me at all. So I would go in and not book it. Like I told them I wouldn't. Um, so once they called and said, do you want to come back in? They, they need a new understudy. And I, oh, okay. Uh, I went in and I guess by that point, the team kind of knew me a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I knew myself a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I went in with a little bit less, um, it was actually kind of a good lesson, I think. Like, I, for the first time, I sort of let go of what Alex did mm-hmm. and thought, like, all right, I need to forgive myself for not being capable of what Alex does and figure mm-hmm. out, like, if I was given this piece without any context for it, like, what would my approach be? Like, what would my take yeah. be on this guy? And so I just did my take on it, which uh, was, I guess, something they were at least a little interested in. And they said, can you learn guitar? They said, do you play guitar? I said, no. And they said, could you learn? I said, I probably could sure try, but like, I would need like a lot of lessons. They're like, how about this? If you can like, just figure out the very basics. If you can like figure out a little bit on your own, come back to the call, the callbacks were going to be like in six weeks or something. And I was going out of town to do a show. They're like, take a few lessons if you can, Mm -hmm. then come back to the callbacks, show us what you've done. And then, you know, if it works out, we'll throw you into like serious lessons. Uh, so that's what I did. I went to San Francisco, San Francisco to do a show. I took guitar lessons. I came home. I, t- I like got a Groupon for like five lessons or something. Yeah. And I came home and or was uh, it like who's that? It's that infamous New York Dan Smith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I was in New York, I would have called Dan. Yeah. Um, so I took a few lessons. I came home uh, and I guess I did enough to show them that like I meant well and that I, my, you know, my fingers were capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, they threw me into like super intense guitar lessons and, and still now, I mean, like I have a couple of guitars now, but mm-hmm. really the only thing I can play is school of rock. <laughs> like that's the only. You just sing that music. to Asher. Yeah. Repeat after me. <laughs> she doesn't have to play that part. I, yeah. it's, uh, I can play Trickle Twinkle. I learned how to play that for Asher when he was a baby. Okay. Um, but yeah, I learned. Uh, or that I, I like got, math song. Math. Yeah, the math song. Wonderful. It's like the, the only really hard part. I mean, there's a lot of playing, a lot of like real true live mm-hmm. playing that he does in the yeah. show. The only really hard part is there's like a big solo in Teacher's Pet at the end that I never really got good at. The rest of the show, I was good enough. Like I could get through the show without any problem, yeah. but like that solo was hard. Oh, yeah. Um, and I they taught it actually. The, Black doing it where he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I, I was stuck great. still staring at my fingers. Like I was not acting during that part because I was just trying to get the right. music out. But oh, the, God, the way they that. did it was cool. They were like, that solo didn't have to, it wasn't like set. It wasn't notated. That solo could be anything. And so the guitar teacher was like, so here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to play the backing track. You, a singer, scat something. Just scat what you think like a cool guitar solo would be and we'll transcribe it and you can learn that. And so that's what we did. Cause he's like, it needs to be something that makes sense to you musically and mm-hmm. not something that like I impose on you. Yeah. So I just made up my own solo, which I think was um, probably like much simpler musically than what they had been doing but uh was it do 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 <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> well, um, the teachers but do. but it was it was good enough it got there yeah um but yeah that was like that was pretty good i mean it also was my fifth broadway show and it was the first time i ever got to like be the guy like yeah. i had never been the guy mm-hmm. um and uh you know i was an understudy i wasn't the guy every night but when i got to go on i got i was the guy which was um yeah just so cool it was so magic yeah and then beautiful happened yeah then beautiful happened which was like 
And were you there when it closed too, or no? I left right before it closed. Right before it closed. Um, yeah, I left. What was I doing? Oh, uh, I think I went to go do Alice by Heart, the show at MCC, um, this Duncan Cheek show. I know I saw it. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful was like something that just kind of came around. I auditioned for it and uh, I hadn't seen it. So I just, I think I just like went in and made some really bold choices and I don't know, they let me be Donnie. It was the cushiest were... thing. Oh yeah. Sorry. I thought we were talking about Alice by Heart still. Um, oh no. Beautiful. Alice by Heart was really hard work. Yeah. No, I just, I remember, and I think I told you this story too, because uh, Grace McLean was in it mm-hmm. and my old roommate and I saw it together and she's sitting there looking at the playbill during Grace's part. And I turned to her and I said, she's in great, she was in great Comet. So Grace like, is, I mean, yeah, Grace is the best. she's, uh, she's the other reading I was doing last week. She had her new piece. She's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Grace Did and I were the old show photos. at like LCT three or something. Yeah, last year in the green at Wendell Hotel. She's yeah. she's like a legit genius writer. Yeah, maybe um, she'll write a baseball musical for you. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. I got to talk to her about that. Um, like, yeah, beautiful was like idea. I had one line to sing in beautiful, mm-hmm. and it was in um, you've got a friend that do hey, good to know you got a friend. People can be so wrong, they'll hurt you. My line was and desert you. That was my whole sung part in the show. And then you're like, I'm out. I'm going to get my Uber. I'll tell you what. I ordered my Uber. It was also like, I had my own dressing room with like a whole bed. Like Mm -hmm. it was, and I I had like a 45 or 50 minute break right in the middle of the show. Like it was a really cushy gig. I would have done that forever. Um, And I was, I had just bought my like Vespa. And so I would like scoot from Washington Heights to the Sondheim, like do my little show, hop out back on the Vespa up Riverside Drive. Like it was the happiest I've ever been doing a show. It was just so easy and breezy and fun. Well, I mean, cause you were also on a Vespa. So the breeze must've been great. (laughs) Literally breezy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, what happens after beautiful? Beautiful. I think then Alice by Heart. And then I did these, um, shows at uh paper mill i just did two right before the pandemic i did two back-to-back shows at you paper did, mill. did cinderella and unmasked right exactly right i did cinderella and, and i did my i did my research Clearly. about you senior cobra and unmasked got us right to march of 2020 and here we are and here we are <laughs> so let's talk about the stage door experience really quickly because okay. in my youth i used to stage door i even stage doored hair i cool. think i actually still have like one of those like posters that you guys handed out a window to the audience signed oh those little like, flyers mm-hmm. yeah, cool. i think i have one somewhere oh, i'm not gonna look for it now but okay. yeah because then i had to lift up a thing with there's a lot of shit on it it's, it's too it. much uh-huh. so have you had any like really weird stage door encounters or um it took a little bit of learning for me to be able to like um to do it right because mm-hmm. I, I i was a I was a very much like a stage door kid whenever I would go to shows in like high yeah. school. Sorry, there and, I, um, Eighth Avenue, my my window's open. Don't you miss that sound? Deeply. Yeah. Um, it's an ambulance coming to take me away because you stole my heart. Nice. Thank you. That's fun. Little night at the Roxbury for you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, there we... it is. Do you want to wait? New York City kids. That's okay. Um, we, uh, yeah, I had to kind of learn how to do it right. I think I was like, it's the same as social media, right? You have to like kind of figure out how much of yourself you're, you're comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I sort of overshared a little bit early on. And then I got, I bumped up against some boundaries that I didn't know I had. Yeah. Uh, 
and then I had to kind of retreat, which was weird for me and for other people. Like it was, I didn't do it great at first. It took some learning. Um, After that, uh, I mean, I never, ever, I don't think ever have not done the stage door. I love doing the stage door um, because I know how meaningful it was for me as a person who used to go to stage doors. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of ways for that experience to be great and a lot of ways for it to not be great. Mm-hmm. Um, both for audience members and for, for company members. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I think is um, for the people who choose to engage in it really important. And I, uh, yeah. I look forward to being a part of them again someday. I had a stager experience where I like asked somebody and I think they were like drinking backstage after the show. And I asked for a photo and they're like, can I cover my face? I want to cover cool. my face. And I'm like, I'm good. Thank you. you. Know. Yeah. Have a good night. Thank you so but much. I did have like a really horrible experience with an actor, but it was at a Mamma Mia party. So I was like, you're in Mamma Mia. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It's, it's so strange. And it's, um, I was just actually reading an interview with uh, that Lin-Manuel did about, um, obviously he's not in this position anymore, but he was talking about when he was that there's this kind of magic thing about like coming at your stage door and being incredibly famous mm-hmm. for three minutes. Yeah. And then like you get 20 feet away and it's, over like it's it's I think the exact right amount of famous because mm-hmm. you get you kind of get it for a second you go like oh wow cool and then you get to walk away from it yeah. and it doesn't follow you for the most part I mean yeah. until you're extremely famous it doesn't follow you like mm-hmm. I probably there have been a dozen times in my career that I have been approached in a non-Broadway setting mm-hmm. about, you know, someone who is a fan of a show or something. Yeah. And it's always very surprising and pleasant. Like it's always been nice and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's exactly the right amount of famous for me. I think. Yeah. Like uh, you can be famous here for five minutes and then mm-hmm. I'm getting on the A train. I'll see ya. It's yeah. done. You know? Yeah. I, just, I, I think it also depends on like, the amount of famous you are too. Uh, I went to see Angels in America for a second time. Yeah. And I didn't really like, I don't really stage door anymore. Cause like when I was in college, I did a lot. And then afterwards I'm like, I'm going to work with these people one day. I'm not going to stage door. And it's like, here I am now as a medical receptionist. Um, But no, so I ran into somebody I knew and her and her aunt wanted to stage door. So I'm like, I'll just stage door with you. It's fine. And I've always said to myself, if I ever meet Andrew Garfield, oh sure, I'm going to tell him where I discovered him. And he did this movie over 10 years ago called Boy A, and he won an orange BAFTA for it. And Pace University, they have a, a theater there, Schimmel, where they used to film inside the actor's studio. They used to have the Tribeca Film Festival there. And I ushered there for many years in college and after. And that movie premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. So I've been a fan of him since then. And when they announced him as Spider-Man, I was like, oh, it's that guy from Boy A. Yeah. That's how oh. I knew him. And so when I met him at the stage door, because like everybody left. So they have the stage door like this, the barricades. Mm-hmm. And then when everybody leaves, they go whoop, and they make it into like a triangle. Mm-hmm. So people can't really like enter. So people would sign, he would sign and then leave, sign and then leave. And I told him, you know, I've always wanted, you know, meet you and tell you that, you know, I've been a fan of yours ever since the movie Boy A. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, yeah, that's it. And then I like went on my way. See, that's nice. It's perfect. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think, you know, experience like that, that also might be, he seemed like he was very like, oh my God, somebody knows that movie. 
Right. Well, I think yeah. part of it is like, to me, like I think fame is sort of measured by how large that radius is where you're mm-hmm. famous after a show, right? Yeah, where it's like also he was so famous that they went whoosh. Yeah. With yeah. barricades. Yeah, that'll happen. Um, I don't know, but like at the same time, I've run into like Jake at Whole Foods mm-hmm. and he's compl- not a single person in that Brian Park Whole Foods knows that it's him. Like, well, it's also, I feel like Brian Park Whole Foods and it's also like New York City. Yeah, sure. Of course. You know? Yeah. And also like, like you're not you know, going to be like a, a theater obsessive Jake Gyllenhaal fan at the Whole Foods of Brian Park. Probably not. But, but I understand what you're saying. They're just normal people. Yeah, but it's a lot of it is like, some of it comes down to context, right? Like if you're in the context where you are expecting to see a famous person, then mm-hmm. you are kind of keyed into it. If you're at the grocery store, you're just not on alert. You know what I mean? Like you're not yeah. looking for it. And I think, at least in my experience with some moderately famous people, they're generally not walking around projecting, look everyone, I'm here. Yeah. Like it's, you know, that's not something that is- It's not like Sally Field, uh, what is it? Soap dish where they yeah. go to the mall. Right, exactly. There was a while before either of us were uh, names that anyone would know <laughs> that Alex, for a while, Alex and I used to get a kick out of like arriving at the fourth floor of Pearl Studios or wherever and coming out and going, would you believe this? Andrew Cooper and Alex Brightman. Wow. And just no one, mostly just people annoyed that we were there. I mean, I would have been. I can that. picture both of you doing that. Yeah, it sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah. That's one about... of our best bits. Yeah. Do you so have that's any... the end of my career. Now it's over. The pandemic right. ruined it. Bye no, guys. No more readings or anything else. Yep. Do you have any favorite roles that you've played? I think Malvolio, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, Malvolio is a really good one. And do we, I mean, like, to me, those two really stretched me in ways that uh, were fun to be stretched, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um they also both felt like opportunities to kind of like do something that I don't always get to do mm-hmm. and to challenge myself. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's fun to challenge yourself. It's fun to do Shakespeare for the first time in 15 years. It's fun to learn guitar at 35, you know, like, yeah. like I, I didn't, it's fun to like develop something new when you have already kind of decided like, I'm, I'm not learning anything new. I'm old now. All of a sudden you have to like learn something new and try to get good at it, which is uh, really invigorating. Maybe you'll have to learn a time step at some point too. Oh, I tried so hard. Lauren Lataro really wanted me to do it in 12th night. I couldn't make it happen. Again, I've had five-year-olds attempt to teach me. And the last person I had on the podcast turns out that they're very good at dancing or they were at some point. And I said, would you be able to teach me a time step? And they said, absolutely. And I said, I promise you, you will not be able to. Yeah. It just, I, my it's not body for everybody. can't do it. I have good rhythm. I just, my body won't do it. I mean, look, I can dance around my apartment to like Rihanna or Bruno Mars, but like, sure. if you give me a choreographed dance where my legs and feet are involved, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. happen. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Let me see. I have a list of, do you have, do you have any questions for me? No, I don't no. think so. I don't think so. All right. No. What was your, wait, did we, what was your first Broadway show? Did I even ask you that? That I saw? Yeah. I think it was, um, and, you know, they were the same trip. So I don't remember which I saw first, but mm-hmm. uh, the Rebecca Luker Sound of Music. 
Mm-hmm. I saw that too. Transcendent. Yeah. And uh, Ragtime, the original production of Ragtime. Oh, I fucking love Ragtime. My college did it and I saw it like five times. It's real good. I cried. So I have stage door pictures of me at Ragtime. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, the sound of music I saw with my stepdad. And I feel like I remember two things like her coming through the audience mm-hmm. for the wedding and the the curtain before the show started how it was a huge snow globe oh yeah yeah you're right and then like yeah, that was a beautiful production yeah i think that's all i remember about it now my brain is hurting because i'm trying to remember more of it but i can't what was the last show you oh sorry go ahead no i was i i remember really well um i was all the way house right right mm-hmm. up against the exit door what was the th- i don't remember what theater it was Herschel. all right where, oh, where I would go on to make my Broadway debut. Mm-hmm. I had never connected that. But I was all the way house right, which is right next to the... I want to say now my story doesn't make any sense because that's not true. I think I was right next to the exit doors. And I remember like hearing the yeah, city the right, outside. Yeah, the right is the exit doors. Oh, so, okay, good. I'm right. Yeah, because so, I, I remember that specifically with hair because my friend and I did standing room and the start of the second act, you guys come in through. That's right, that's and right, then, that's right. For like well, and my friends and I still talk about how Will Swenson put his arms around us and was like, what's up, ladies? And it's I was like, dreamy. better now that you're here. <laughs> um, I remember thoughts. still hearing the city through the doors mm-hmm. during Sound of Music and going like, what a crazy place to do theater is Midtown Manhattan. Like what an insane place oh, to, to do this. I have a much better... Okay. So my friends and I went to see once mm-hmm. and we were sitting all the way right orchestra. So that's, I'm sure, you know, that's the alleyway that has the golden and yep. Minskoff and whatever other theater, the Jacobs. Yeah. So we're watching once and we hear a very muffled. So we heard a very muffled masquerade great during once so we were getting two shows for the price of one yeah that'll happen we used to get that at um at les mis we shared a wall with hamilton yeah we would get uh didn't lynn come in to do a line for he did the loud hailer once Mm -hmm. you with the barkers listen to this Mm -hmm. uh there there was some very quiet part of our show that like some night of the week the schedules lined up so it was like I mean, it was like bring him home at the Imperial, but it was like the Battle of Yorktown at the Rogers. And so I can actually, I can see you as King George. Maybe we should get you into Hamilton. You and Morton has been there for so long, he won't leave. Well, I mean, that's like you and the goat in uh, Wicked. Yeah, I know. That's sort of, I I don't blame him. I'm like, stay forever. I sort of saw when when I did Malvolio uh, one night, Lynn and, and Tommy Kale and all those guys came and I was like, all right, so tonight's basically my audition for King George. <laughs> uh, but Ewan's been there since. He hasn't gone there. He hasn't opened up. Okay, so I get it. I also think, I mean, not to whatever, I think I would be a really good King George. I'm sure that you would. Yeah. I don't I doubt think, it. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. I definitely think they could cast a female in that part. And I'm sure they could at some point. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Do you, what else do I want to ask you? Favorite roles you've played, dream role. Let's talk about your dream roles then. Right. Well, you know, the one thing I haven't done, not the one, one of the things I haven't done in the theater is originate a new character on Broadway. Mm. I'd like to do that. I haven't done that. Um, you sort of get, you get like a version of it in, a, in being in the original cast of a revival, 
like you get it's sort of you get to yeah. kind of reinvent something, I guess. But yeah, um, I've never I've done and I've done a lot of musical development. I do lots and lots of readings. I've done lots of like regional productions and lots of new work, which I love doing. But I've never done a brand new character on Broadway that no one's ever seen before. I'd like to do that. Yeah, well, maybe one of those baseball musicals. <laughs> yeah, that and Jean Valjean. I want to play Jean Valjean. Yeah. Well, I mean, kick out Alex Gemignani for the next one. and Yeah, when the fourth revival comes around, I think I'll, be, I'll really be primed. Maybe fifth. Maybe fifth. We'll see. Do you, think it, do you think it'll be revived? You know what I think should be revived? And I stand by this. Hmm. I think they should bring Hairspray back to Broadway. Uh, Sure. Because it's joyful. People yep. love it. Yep. And it deals with issues of now. It does. Yeah, I, I'd go see it. Why not? Yeah, I stand by that choice. What are your top going theater experiences that you've had? My favorite time I've ever spent at the aud- in the audience of a show is at Passing Strange. Passing Strange was like transformative for me. It was magical for me. I saw it, I think, three times. Yeah. It, it was um, just one of the most moving experiences yeah. I've ever had. I, I, I've never lost myself in a show like I did in that show. Um, so that, and sort of like every time I see something at the Delacorte, it's 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 uh, like for my money, which is ironic because it's free. It's <laughs> the best. It's the best place to see a play in the world. Yeah, and certainly of the places I've seen plays, and yeah. um, I'm just so grateful to get a chance to work there sometimes, and to get a chance to see theater there sometimes, and it seems like this. Um, I mean, I grew up worshiping New York City and there is nothing to me more New York City than Shakespeare in the Park. And seeing a play at the Delacorte as the sun sets and you're looking at the castle and you can see the Upper East Side in the distance. Like it's, it's, it is perfect. And uh, I just am so, I feel so grateful. I, I never feel more connected to my city or to my business than I do when uh, I get to see something at the Delacorte. Do you have a favorite show you've ever seen at the Delacorte? <sighs> they did a, an Othello a couple years ago that I thought was really special. Yeah. There were some really, really fantastic performances. Corey Stolziago was like really terrific. Yeah. The uh, last podcast we were talking about him and I was like, no offense, he's super sexy in my opinion. Um, but Why would I, I be offended by that? I don't know. <laughs> He's a super good looking dude. We worked together on House of Cards. He's amazing. Oh, I did. I probably saw you and I don't remember. I want to know what it's like working with Michelle Williams because I love her, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I saw him as uh, Brutus in that production of Julius Caesar. That was a little controversial. Yeah. I didn't see that he, one. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's great. It was great. I loved it. Um, they did... Uh, Shana, Shana's other adaptation was As You Like It, which I thought was like a really, yeah, really special thing a couple of years ago. I always do the lottery because special. I'm like, I'm old. I don't want to wait oh, to yeah, yeah. get the park. I'm like, if I get tickets, if I win tickets, then I'll go. But other than that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm way too, like when we first did Hair, Hair was like a big deal that first summer. Mm-hmm. And we would be leaving the show at 11 and people would be arriving to wait for the drawing yeah. the next afternoon. And yeah. I was like, there's nothing, I mean, like, there's nothing that I care about that much that I would do. My comfort is too important to me. I feel like the only other time where people went, like, crazy, well, no, maybe two, 
with, well, it was hair. I feel like definitely 12th night, but then halfway people like, yeah, that was a big nuts and maybe into the woods. Yeah. I I really like, I like that. I'm a huge, um, Dennis O'Hare fan. So I was excited about that. Yeah, Um, I've been watching that show, the nevers. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's I, I feel really conflicted about watching it because it's a Joss Whedon show. Oh, yeah. But Dennis O'Hare is in it. I will say, though, I did see the revival of Sweet Charity and I saw his understudy. So I was a little bummed about that. Mm. But, you know, he was uh, I thought he was great in that. I, I saw it. I was at opening night sitting a couple rows behind Sondheim, which was really cool. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a magic place. That, and I just I, I feel so strongly about Oscar Eustace. And I just I think like, yeah his vision is so clear and so singular and so important and really like of everyone I I've ever encountered. I don't think anyone is better suited to the thing that they do than he is. Like, I think his, his purpose in life is so clearly aligned with the way that he spends his time uh, in a way that is so beautiful and exciting to be around. Yeah. So tell me Fosse Verdon. Mm. So like to work at the show. There's a few. So I would say like in my lifetime, the like three roles that I'm still like best thing I've ever seen is Timothy Chalamet and Call Me by Your Name. Uh Natalie Portman. This is like in film and TV, uh-huh. not on theater. Uh-huh. Um Natalie Portman in that movie where she played, oh, in Jackie, where she played oh, yeah, she was Jackie pretty. Kennedy, which I'm yeah. still to this day like so mad at Emma Stone for winning the Oscar over right. Natalie Portman and Michelle Williams and Fosse Burden. She's pretty great, huh? Yeah. Uh, she, you know, it was one of those, it was like a guest target. I was there for a day. So it wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we didn't get to be best friends or anything, but it was me and, and her and Aya Cash and, um, and Tommy Kale was directing and it was like, and now they're married with a child. And now they're married with a kid. Who, who which, saw that uh, coming? I didn't pick up on that at all for the brief time that I was on set with them. Yeah. Um, but it was like, uh, she's, she's very, very kind and very, very normal. Like, I mean, yeah. most of the best actors I've ever met are. Like, she's just really kind, really, she was really welcoming. It's it, being a guest star, which is the thing that I've been lucky to be a number of times mm-hmm. is um, weird because you're like coming into this giant thing yeah with all these people that see each other every day for mm-hmm. months on end and you're just yeah. like a little visitor it's like you know like mm-hmm. if they're like someone visiting town joined your family for thanksgiving like it's like i know y'all have like a whole lot of history and understanding i'm yeah. just gonna be here for a minute and then i'll be on my just way just like show you outfits for the tony <laughs> exactly but it was also the pilot of fossey verdon so it wasn't like um they didn't have all that super entrenched history yet but mm-hmm. i just hung out with michelle and um aya cash who's i think also brilliant like i don't know if you watched the boys but she was on this last season the boys she was fantastic um, nor did i watch the circle but i know that jessica Vasquez is because she instagrammed about it really i, I can't yeah talk to her. well if you see um, her tomorrow you can bring it up yeah uh so it was uh yeah it was great she was really nice and welcoming and fun to work with she was easy breezy the whole thing was like easy breezy who is your favorite person you've ever worked with other than me? <laughs> I don't know. Favorite, favorite in what way? I don't, you don't, you don't I think Oscar to. used this, I guess. Like, yeah, he's the most inspiring. And so also as far as like drawing a direct line between <laughs> their involvement in, in my life and mm-hmm. any like career successes I've had, like, I think Oscar is pretty central to when we were doing 12th night, 
as I said, he produced hair and was sort of the reason that we went to Broadway in London. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't direct Twelfth Night the first time, but the second time he directed it. Mm -hmm. And maybe two or three weeks into rehearsal, I had to have like a private talk with him where I was like, listen, I feel like I have to tell you this. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time working with you because uh, I feel like I'm being directed by my dad and I'm so nervous about disappointing you. And it's not because of anything that you have done or are doing, but I feel like for me to get over it, I have to tell you that I feel this way. And he was so warm and understanding about it. I was like, look, like my whole career is rooted in a thing that you made. And um, the fact that I'm here doing this dream role in this dream setting is because you welcomed me here. Like it, you are in many ways my professional dad and I am so scared of letting you down that it's making it hard for me to work with you. So I was like, I have to tell you this so I can stop it. And he said, well, all right, Cobra. <laughs> whatever whatever you need to do I don't know, okay and i really after that i did feel better and we we had a good working relationship and then you like, spent every thanksgiving and christmas together <laughs> in my dreams yeah. i love you some awesome jesus all right all right it is time now for the inside the actor studio questions oh, good because this Are is you ready? 9 30 is the latest i've ever been up okay oh well i'm you're welcome <laughs> i don't think that's true but you're welcome i'm an old ass man really listen i get it but I know you've been up later because those last year reasons plays were very long. I know. No intermission, Neil, really? All right. Well, the second, the, you know, the last one we did was like 10 minutes shorter. That's true. And I wasn't in yeah. a lot of it. So that was, I, I know I, days. you got to hang out a lot more backstage. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Okay. Hit me okay. with the actor studio questions. What is your favorite word? Um, cloak. It's just, it's got a nice mouthfeel. Cloak. I like mm-hmm. it. Cloak, cloak. secrecy. Just yeah. cloak, because I want to. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite word? Um, probably like, actually. 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 Or like, literally. Like, those, something, there's just, um, I don't know. I just... They're almost exclusively said by someone who uh, wants to make you feel smaller. Which actually, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know it's so funny because like I've done these Q and I've done these questions with some people, and they're like, "Oh, when somebody uses this word in this way, or if they use this word," and I say to myself, "I do that." <laughs> I'm in conversations with these people, so now I'm just like maybe they're secretly hate me but they're being super nice to me yeah i try to be i try to be better about it the other thing i'm working on lately especially as it relates to my job as a parent is being more okay with i don't know i always really respect hearing i don't know Mm -hmm. that's something that i'm always like especially from someone who's in a position of authority in some way like i i always really really respect i don't know Mm -hmm. um because i know that it's honest and yeah. um, that uh, it's someone being honest with me, which is yeah. a big deal. With my old job, I worked as a concierge. They were always like, you shouldn't tell people, I don't know. But sometimes you generally won't. You like, yeah. I actually really don't know, yeah. or I'm not sure, but let me look into that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. What turns you on? Oh boy. James Lipton. Um, 
the, well, the, he, <laughs> well, so right. the actual full question is what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally, but he always would say what turns you on. And I think Daniel Radcliffe said, like, I'm not going to tell you what turns me on sexually. And then he's like, these are your students. They've come here to learn. Oh, I well, I don't have a really good actor studio. Yeah. It was one of the ones I worked. I get, I mean, okay. So in the context of the work, right. With like mm-hmm. the capital W, the thing that really gets me excited is um, being given some space and some license. Like, um, I think a lot of times an actor's job is to execute someone else's vision, but to get to collaborate can be really exciting. And mm-hmm. so like to hear, to feel free enough to say like, let me do that again. Or like, mm-hmm. let me, I'm close. Just let me, let me figure it out mm-hmm. and know that the room is with me or know that the director or the composer, or whoever trusts me to figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, is that why we argued in the last reading about that's why, the we, argue. That's why we argue yeah. but you know um, what i let you have it so it's fine <laughs> and i also there's, Sorry, go ahead. like my favorite i don't know why but like my favorite moment mm-hmm. this is so specific but like my favorite moment is an everything bagel lightly toasted with cream cheese and lox and a hot coffee in the new york times and nobody near me <laughs> Like that, that circumstance doesn't happen very often where like all of that aligns, but like, I know that is my, that is my euphoria moment. Like that is the thing for me is -hmm. this like paper, bagel, coffee, quiet. Like that to me is Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, what turns you off? (laughs) Oh, like, um, willful ignorance (laughs) like i don't know and i'm choosing to continue not to know like especially like politically or like trump presidency yeah politically or socially or like the sort of like anti-science uh this like indifference to facts and indifference Mm -hmm. to um like empirical facts I, I just, I, I'm somebody, I'm a thinker and I, um, I don't mean like I'm smart. I mean, like I spend a lot of time thinking before mm-hmm. acting and mm-hmm. I, the thinking is not always good or smart thinking, but I try, I do my best. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like someone's ignorance is a virtue, I just find so repugnant, like yeah. do the work, you know, just yeah. it, we, we, this is what we're here for is to do the work. And so um, I don't know. And the fact that I don't know, is my is somehow a moral high ground i just find mm-hmm. really uh despicable what's your favorite curse word cock fuck hmm, i've never heard it in that cock yeah fuck. that's what i like about it it's sort of unique yeah i am um, i'm sure i didn't make it up i heard it somewhere but like cock fuck there, it's like there's a lot of plosives in it mm-hmm. and you can kind of like hold on can we in. like spelling be in a little bit can you use sure. that in a sentence Oh, it's only an exclamation. I mean, like it okay. wouldn't be used or or sometimes what I like to do is like use the word I use, I say fuck a lot, but I use it instead of, um, instead of like an adjective, I'll just use it as like, where did I put the fuck coffee cup? Like, I'll just use it mm-hmm. sort of like as its own interjection in yeah. the middle of an otherwise innocuous sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that pleasing to me. I got it. I got it. Okay. 
Um, what sound or noise do you love? I just might, I mean, my son's laughing is really good. He's got a good laugh and I like making him laugh and he likes making me laugh, which yeah. I really like about him. Uh, I, I like it when I get a good laugh out of him. What sound or noise do you hate? My dog has a really annoying bark and it startles me every, he's lived with me for 10 years. And still, if he, he has this like very high staccato yip that like just startles me every time. And it makes me like so instantly angry at him. And I'm like, I'm all right. I get so mad. Uh, so I'll go with that, that noise. Just like I could, I could do without that noise. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? I have attempted it. It's, it's um, a pilot. I'd like, to, I, I am in progress, sort of like loosely in progress of getting my pilot's license. I like flying planes. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, a, a real interest of mine for some time. And uh, I've had the opportunity to take a few lessons. And uh, I can see you rocking a pair of aviators and like. I wear aviators just yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, I, I can't like do it. aviators because where they land on my face, my eyebrows peek out and it just makes me look mean. Cool. So I can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like it. I feel like it's like a nice, um, so much of what uh, we do is like based around like, well, how did that feel? Did it feel good? Was that the right? Do you want to? Can't I can feel? I like having other hobbies that are like black and white and just like either you did it right or you didn't. <laughs> That's something I like about Shakespeare, for example. Like yeah. they're, they're, I like the parts of my mind that are kind of more logical and pragmatic because I feel like I get so much time to exercise the parts that are like, oh, then maybe a little bit slower this time and see what that would be like. Oh, is, so, it, is this the canoe building we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like flying planes. It's fun. But I also like that like there's a lot of um, figuring out involved. I like I like figuring out. Did you have like your Kristen Milioti and like made for love? (laughs) It was not quite as emotional for me as it was for her. Yeah. What profession would you not like to attempt? Huh. What profession would I not like to attempt? There's a lot of doctors in my family. That seems really hard. I'm not, I'm not squeamish, but I feel like that's a very popular answer for this podcast. People are like medical really? field. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know if I've ever had to tell anyone bad news. And I, I think it. that must be a lot of it. And I think I'm, I'm really scared of ever telling anyone something they don't want to hear. I, I don't like confronting or, or like negotiating or bargaining. I, like I, I just, I, 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 I so want to be liked that uh, the idea that I would have a job where I routinely have to tell people like, sometimes significantly bad news is um i don't i don't know how i could do it and finally mm-hmm. if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates i don't know if heaven exists what are, like it would be such a surprise to me I think like surprise would be pretty good. <laughs> like, I well, mean, I mean, there's also, he's had people on who like aren't religious and believe in God. And I can't remember how he's like phrased the question to them before. Yeah. I'm not religious, nor do I particularly believe in God, but I, I do think um, 
like my idea of a nice after experience, if there is one, which I am doubtful of, but like, so let's say I'm totally surprised and guess what? You were wrong. There is a wonderful after experience and it's, mm-hmm. it's something I can conceive of. I'd like, I think I'd just like want to know that I could, it would be nice to be able to see the people I love that are gone and be able to like know that the people I love that are still here are okay. And have your bagel lightly toasted. I have my bagel lightly toasted. With my your coffee and your cream cheese in your New York Times. That's perfect. I mean, like that, I, I guess if it were for eternity, I would probably want like some of my loved ones around, but like for mm-hmm. an hour, that bagel is pretty, pretty. An hour spot. a day. We're just like endless bagels. Oh, I can overdo it on the bagels, but from time to time, I had bagels and locks just yesterday. Oh, wow. Well, it was, it was with like a whole bunch of people. So it didn't. That's lovely. Were they all fully vaccinated? Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know that you are, so. Yeah, well, uh, Casey Levy and I, our sons take soccer class together. Mm-hmm. They live out here in the suburbs now. And so we have, we have uh, our families have breakfast before soccer class together. It's very cute. Oh, well, it's so cute. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. All right, Copes. Well. What a pleasure. You. What a treat. Yeah. You can stay on Zoom when I end the recording. So don't I worry. Figured. Okay. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank Greatly appreciated. A delight. Yeah. Delight. Yeah, you can just talk about how wonderful I am if you want. Boy, what a director, what a what a podcast host, what an interviewer, what a friend. Sustained with so much sarcasm. <laughs> None. <laughs> None. None genuine. All right. <laughs> well, thank- All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, the two of you out there. And see you next time. <laughs>